power on. And now for another fast-breaking news story, we go to our roving reporter. The podcast, Sovereign Tech. Its host, Dr. Brian Sovereign. The tech giants try to stop Sovereign Tech. They can't. You know, I get the emails and I get the tweets. Well, actually, I don't get the tweets anymore, but <laughs> we might talk about that. But they always ask me, they say, Stallion, what makes you go round and round, baby? And, uh, well, the Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the Rated R Radio star, Dr. Brian Sovereign, is here to discuss just that by request. But not just that. Uh, or, you know, it won't just be me because I was like, well, you know, this is okay. I care about my health a lot, but there are aspects of it that I've always had a hard time, like really doing the due diligence and concentrating on. And I've always been lucky enough to have people in my life who kind of, kind of take care of that other side of things. And so I said, you know what? I was like, why not my, my partner in crime, <laughs> my partner at the gym, my partner in life, my partner in love, my partner on Sovereign Tech. Why don't I have her on? Woo. Woo. Yes. Too to talk. sweet. Yeah. Too, whoa, baby. <laughs> Fitting that I'm wearing an NWO shirt right now anyway. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, of course, Ellen Sovereign joining me here. Thanks uh, for having me on. Yeah. Well, you were excited. To talk about this. Um, I had gotten a lot of emails lately, and I think for obvious reasons, you know, due to the climate and, and I mean more the, the, the social, uh, and I guess health climate in 20, in 2020, um, I had a lot of people asking me, Hey, you know, Brian, what's your stack? What are you doing as far as working out? And actually for years I did a, like I would do an, a yearly update of, okay, this is what my workout looks like, and this is what I'm experimenting with, and so on. Um, and I would talk about diet and a lot of these other things. And really, I mean, the working out wouldn't shift so much. Like, there wouldn't be so many dramatic changes there. But I definitely experiment a lot with supplements. And my diet would often shift a bit. Like, I would, I would constantly try new things. So that's the blind spot that you have other people help you out with, right? Yeah, I mean, the supplements, I'm kind of, you know, end of wanting myself with that. And we'll get into this because, I, you know, I can do it. In fact, <laughs> I was I jokingly said, all right, Ellen, when we do this episode, we'll call it the uh, the supplement supplemental. And <laughs> that, that's really exactly what this is. Um, you know, with, with the supplements, this is something that, well, I mean, you've helped out a lot on, but the area where you've certainly had my back on and that I'm really trusting you on. And I feel like it's delivered. Um, even though, even just recently we're trying some new things. Um, I mean, you just, you've got this on lock, Ellen, and you've really convinced me. And I mean, my diet has changed dramatically from the last time that I would have done one of these episodes, which probably would have been 2018. And again, we're in 2021. So we're due for an update. No doubt about that. Um, but you are really, I mean, I, I, well, you introduced me like to Dr. Uh, Michael Greger's work 
with like how not to die, how not to diet and so on. Uh, I recommend those books heartily. Um, they'll put you on a pretty good path. Uh, yeah, they're so powerful. Right. Just I love sharing that book with anybody who'll listen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we're going to get into some books because you've been reading some interesting things. Uh, in fact, the books you are reading, I think, and this is important to bring up, um, the books you were reading are a lot more on mental health, I would say. The but ones I've been reading recently. Recently, yeah. yeah. But um, as I often say, on sovereign tech, really, we should never separate. I mean, I guess for, you know, for precision, we'll separate it a bit in this episode, but really mind and body, you know, like mental and physical are not separate things at all. There should be a dash in between mind body. Um, and that's a concept, you know, that's common within general semantics, uh, which I am also a big fan of and something else people could look into as far as, uh, you know, mental health, but Regardless, it's much more than that, too. Um, but yeah, it really and should, I might even argue in this episode that there's an additional dimension to health. It's not just mind-body, but there's something else. There's something else. I can't wait to find out what the something else is. I'm going to take a note here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we got to bring up what the something else is. So, but, uh, well, anyway, I think this is going to be a great episode. We've got a lot to get into, a lot to talk about. There are some stories we're going to get into. We are going to talk about uh, what is Ellen's stack as far as supplements? What is my stack as far as supplements? Um, and those are two different things. And uh, I think that's going to be an interesting conversation. We will uh, discuss, again, some dynamite stories that we need to discuss, especially because right now there's a lot of controversy going on in the health space that I think we need to uh, address and that I've had thoughts on and we've had a lot of conversations on over uh, over breakfast yeah, uh, fortunately not behind the microphone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, mm. <laughs> that, that, that's a good point. Uh, but we'll bring it up. Um, and then we will also talk about our workout routine, which is actually not too dissimilar um, in what we do. But we'll get into that. And we have a kind of a, a new, uh, I don't want to call it a new diet, but certainly a new schedule for eating. Um, that I think we need to discuss. So there's a lot of things to get into here, a lot of things to cover. Um, so this episode's all about health, just overall well-being, general health. Yeah, every pretty much every part of you, including what I want to open up with is, um, and this is really digital hygiene. Um, now, I want to bring this up because, you know, stress is a is a key thing to mitigate as far as overall health goes. Um, and online right now, you know, in January, 2021, uh, life online is a fucking shitstorm. So <laughs> yeah. now you, uh, actually we, some congratulations are in order. Are you, they? Yeah. Because you are a full on graduated, uh, documented, you're a full on scientist, engineer, the whole thing. You graduated. Yes, Woo! I did. Yeah. Fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm so excited and relieved. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so you're going to be entering, you know, I mean, you're you're going to be doing some really important shit. Uh, yeah, I, I can't wait to find out what it is. <laughs> yeah, no, I know the job search has been on for sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, this is going to be, well, I'm excited for you. Yeah, um, thank you. And I'm excited to have all this free time. I mean, I cannot stress enough how much uh, I spent every waking hour from morning till night working while I was still a student. And as soon as classes were over, as soon as finals were over, that was done. 
And I finally had time to address this list of projects that have been building up for practically years. Right. (laughs) Um, But one of the first things on that list was uh, clean up your Facebook. I wanted to just rip all the data from it and get rid of it. Yeah. And I've been wanting to do this for a long time because it's just been sitting there and I don't use it. And it's better to not have one than to have one that's really behind the times. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm so glad I did it when I did because this was about a week before... Well, all the censorship that's been happening recently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're basically, we're both completely social media lists. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. So, so you got rid of your Twitter and your Facebook as well. Well, right? yeah. So my Facebook's gone. My, I mean, I hadn't posted on Facebook in forever and I mean, years and years and years. Um, Instagram, same deal. It, it had been three, four years since I ever posted on Instagram. I just kind of left it there because there's an argument to be had. That, well, you know, if you're not on there, someone could pretend to be you. Um, and not that I am, you know, I'm a like a, a Z-list celebrity. You know, I don't even want to use, I don't even think that term applies to me. But who could even pretend to be you? Nobody has your spirit. Well, that's true. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I think you can pretty well tell when it's me and it's not. Yeah. Um, because fortunately, my like the way that I post on social media sounds exactly like the way I talk. And I mean, and I know sounds is a funny word to use, but no, really, like everybody always tells me how they just hear my voice when they would read what I said on social media. Um, but yeah, uh, and and I had uh, well, let's just say that Twitter's uh, recent policies uh, affected me, and so you know my my Twitter account no longer exists. Um, so yeah, I am completely social media list. I still have the Telegram group. If you want to count that as social media, uh, okay. Um, but there's the Sovereign Tech Telegram group. Um, there's the, also the the element group. Are you going to talk about that? So I do have that. Uh, and, and technically, I guess that that could be called social media. Um, and certainly LRN, which is operating their own servers now, which uh, I, I talked about this in a, in a recent um, episode, that, uh, that that is something that's available. Um, and if you go back a couple episodes, the links for all of that are in the show notes. I, I suppose I should put those links in the show notes proper from now on because I can't put my Twitter account there anymore. Yeah. And we don't um, know how much longer telegrams even going to be in app stores in America. Yeah. This is a concern. Um, and well, anyway, that's a bigger conversation to get into, but, uh, absolutely. So, um, this is one part of our of digital hygiene that has certainly been cleaned up uh, is that, yeah, no more social media. Uh, but again, I am on that element group um, on LRN, which can kind of be called social media. It, I mean, it, element or matrix, technically. Uh, it's its own matrix server that LRN's running, which I, I think is fantastic. Free Talk Live is, is a Sovereign Tech sponsor, by the way. They did re-up for 2021, uh, which I appreciate them showing confidence in this show. And... Um, but, that, you know, it operates much like IRC Matrix does. It's like the new form of IRC. And I don't know if, if I would necessarily call that social media, uh, but it can certainly be branded as such. So I guess I do have that. I'm not 100% social media list, but I am certainly 100% social media list from anybody like Gab or any of the, you know, even any of the alts that you think of. All these big corporations. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Whoever. I mean, I'm just not a part of the program here. And it's not for you either. Um, and I, I mean, I'll tell you personally. Uh, not being on Twitter. Wow. A lot of minds, a lot of mind space freed up tons, tons. That's great. Yeah. It's, it's amazing because even me, like 
I think that, okay, well, you know, if I'm going to have people engage with me on, on Twitter, uh, you know, I've got to tweet, I've got to put something out there. And a couple things happen there though, is that you are think you, you basically, you have to like put effort into trying to, okay, what, what should I tweet out there that means anything, you know? And that can be, you know, that can be its own little stress. Um, even though you could argue it's kind of effortlessly for me, but I also, I just, I don't see the return on that. Um, and I could get into an argument where I don't see sovereign tech's audience growing any further. And so social media without like any kind of real plan for that or putting money into it, which I will do neither, uh, just doesn't make sense. Um, but there's that, you know, I mean, there's certainly that aspect of it. Um, there's other parts of not having social media. I mean, one has to be careful with this line of thinking, but I, I really kind of like it. And that is before you open your mouth, is it going to improve upon the silence? And, you know, I think a lot of, like, I think this episode is going to be very helpful for people, give them something to think about uh, or to try. But, you know, otherwise, like, no, I, I don't know if just my, my little ramblings and whatever on online, uh, improve upon any of the silence. I think the silence does just fine on its own and we could use a lot more silence in our lives. Well, you're not going to find silence on Twitter. I no. think that's the worst place to go looking for it. It's a goddamn fire hose. No. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> not. Uh, so anyway, it's been an improvement. Um, not being on social media at all, uh, is an incredible relief. And I feel, and I, I, I never even feel the, like the, the tinge or twitch to, Boy, I should get back on there. You know, oh, I wish I could tweet this out or blah, blah, So there's blah. no fear of missing out. There's no None. thinking like, oh, I have such a fun idea that I could post online right now, but I can't because I don't have the account None. anymore. None. You know, and you know what? Because, and, I, and I've said this, I've said this in recent episodes. Uh, I mean, like social media is, it's a fucking MMO. That's not real. There's nothing real there. Like the, it, it's, you, you have different versions of reality. I mean, it's literally like, it's like World of Warcraft. You have, you know, the, the Alliance and the Horde, you know, <laughs> you have like these two different fucking worldviews and well, no matter, you know, whatever you think you belong to, you either buy into this one or you buy into the other and, and you just run with it because, yep, this is the group that I belong to. And it's all a package deal. And the sad part is, is that these are manufactured reality bubbles by a lot of news organizations. Okay. Um, and, and it's not even, it's not even what you really think you're just buying into this idea that, well, I need to belong to X or this is the closest to me, or, you know, I'm looking for allies or, or whatever. And so it, it's just, it, it's not real. It's not the, obje it's not objective reality. It's not even close to, to the real world. And so. Like I would argue if you spend substantial amounts of time on those platforms, um, I mean, you're doing yourself an incredible disservice and, and you're, you're, you're literally like you're fooling yourself because there's better words I want to use for this. But bottom line being is that you are getting a completely skewed version of reality. And I don't even think, I think it's gotten to the point. I don't even think that even if you look at it critically, um, even that's not good enough because it's still going to affect you because what you think is you think that there are people out there who believe this stuff and kind of act upon it or whatever. 
No, I'm almost, I'm, I'm basically the opinion that people on social media, uh, like the people that are really on social media and doing whatever, they're either AstroTurf and they're bought by the politician or, I mean, like it's like Bangladeshi specials. Like they're not even, they're sock accounts. They're not even real people or it's people who are, and Hey, if you want to live this way, okay, fine. But you're not like actively necessarily in the real world. Or it's people that are just like sitting on their asses uh, and not productively, you know, 25 hours a day. And I said 25. Um, yeah. How can you be productive when you're tweeting that much? It's impossible. It's impossible. Uh, and, and and it's just it's not the real world. And, and I'm sure the politicians just fucking love it because now they don't have to deal with the phone calls. They don't have to deal with letters. They don't have to deal with mobs. Usually uh, they don't have to deal with all kinds of things. And I, I mean, the narrative is so controlled on these platforms. It's ridiculous. Uh, you you will get no semblance, no sense of reality by being on those platforms and anybody reacting to tweets or to social media posts in general uh, don't live in the real world. There, there it is. Bottom line. Yeah, I agree. And another thing is that I think social media platforms are where people go to feel like they get a moment in the spotlight, but also it kind of fulfills their need for connection with other people. Sure. And I get it that in a pandemic, like that's, that can be tough for some based upon the regulations uh, that exist. But it's not, it's not the best way to connect. It might even be a toxic way. Yes. It's piss poor. And I mean, like it becomes a question of, okay, well, at least I can connect this way, but when does it become a net negative? Like, when does it actually become more harmful to connect in this way than to just not? And uh, no one wants to, no one wants to go there. You know, Uh, I mean, frankly, I think that if social media didn't exist and a lot of these other platforms didn't exist, uh, you know, these lockdowns and everything, no one would put up with them for a second. No, people would start paying more attention to what's going on in their head. Yeah. And their heart as opposed to what the narrative is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they they just they wouldn't put up with it, but they feel like they're playing this. I mean, it, it's basically it's a video game. Again, it's it's an MMO and they think that they're like on some team and they just go forward. Uh and man, anyway. So, life's great without social media. You don't need it. Yeah. Um, Can I add one more thing? Please. So, I haven't posted on social media for many years because of everything that you just said. Mm-hmm. But the main reason that I wanted to get rid of my social media account, which I I finally did after getting all of my pictures and whatnot off of there. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just so my Facebook account was hacked once and yeah. I was mm-hmm. like posting an advertisement for sunglasses or something. Right. Right. And it was really stupid, but it scared me. I was you know, shaken by this experience. Yeah. Um, so of course I like upped the complexity of my password, but I just wanted to get rid of these accounts because I don't want another thing out there that somebody can hack into and, yeah, exactly. and take my password and possibly do other damage to my accounts. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I feel relief just in not having those exist. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, you know, I was talking to somebody who's actually the head of a pretty large company in Canada. And he said, if you're not getting banned off of social media, uh, like cl- clearly you're not saying anything. 
Yeah, you, that's you know, true. Like anything that matters, <laughs> you know, like and 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 I and this is a guy, you know, liberal as fuck. I mean, he's not he's not you know a Trumper or anything like you know along those lines. Liberal as fuck. And he said, if you're not getting banned off of social media, you're doing something wrong. You're not saying anything that's important. Yeah, yeah, and and I and and I think he's totally right on about that. Uh, so. He has a point. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so social media, that's a great thing to get rid of. You don't need it. No, you no, you, you don't need it. Uh, and if you need it, say for some kind of business that you're doing or something along those lines, I guess I can be, I can kind of understand that, but for fuck's sake, just make it, make it and you know, a bullshit account and just be silent. Yeah. Know? There are much better ways to communicate directly with the people that you need to. Yeah. And yeah. you don't even need social media for that. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I will say this, like, uh, I kind of want to go down this road, but I don't. Yeah. All right. We're, we're <laughs> fuck it. We're not going there. <laughs> I was, I was going to say about telegram. Like, so as I've been using telegram more, all right, let's do it. So as I've been using telegram more, I've been in groups where there are like close to a thousand people in them. Um, you can't follow the conversations on there. Like no. it's, it's a fucking mess. Like the sovereign tech group has under a hundred people on it. And I think even that for people is a challenge to, to keep track of, you know, um, even the, even that as helpful as I know it is for some people like man, Dunbar's number is a real fucking thing. And, and any time that we don't pay attention to that, uh, the results may not necessarily be disastrous, but I do think that they, well, again, they become net negatives. Um, I agree. It, yeah. And I see that even with platforms that I like and I like telegram overall. Um, that's how it is. So anyway, uh, that's, there's, there's all that with social media. Uh, if you want to get rid of a lot of stress, man, just get the fuck off of there, you know, and let it, let it go. Um, yeah. Same thing with news. I mean, you can reduce your stress a lot by just not watching the news. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's all, it's a fucking laugh. Yeah. I mean, and I, honestly, now that Trump's not in office, I think it's going to be, th there's going to be less viewership for news because yeah. a lot of people were watching it on a daily basis just to see, oh, what has this guy done today? Yeah. What dumb shit did he do today? <laughs> yeah. uh, and there's plenty for him to do. I mean, don't worry, folks. Every politician is doing asinine nonsense uh, every day. Uh, so, you know, there's still plenty oh, no to look doubt. for, but, <laughs> uh, anyway, I guess they're just, their skin is an orange. So, um, <laughs> but digital hygiene, let's keep talking about this a little bit because you have, now that you're, now that you've graduated, you, uh, have started going down a path of where you're really like cleaning up a lot of the stuff because you don't need it necessarily, uh, for what you were engaging in, uh, with school. And, uh, one thing that we really started on and people can go actually to the previous Sovereign Tech Supplemental, which is 01-2021 from just a couple weeks ago. And there uh, I talk about getting off of Firefox and saying that, wow, Mozilla is, is calling for rampant algorithmic uh, censorship. And yikes. Yeah, we. Yeah, that was terrifying. Right. When they said that we need more than deplatforming. Exactly. Uh, I mean, incredibly extreme position for them to hold and just dead wrong and not how, and this is the company that again, for, for decades or, or a decade or more has been talking about, yeah, we need an open internet. You know, we need this and blah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great philosophy and everything. And, and they just, they, they did a complete 180 
you know, insane. Um, and of course we talked about this earlier in the year when, when it really happened. But, uh, so, you know, we've been, I've been personally kind of been on the search. Okay. What do I recommend to people, you know, going forward now, I'm still looking into this a little bit more and I'm going to do an entire episode about this. But the first thing that we basically set up for you is let's get you on brave browser. Oh, I thought you were going to say the other, but yeah, you're right. I did get on brave browser. Yeah, which uh, other? What one of <laughs> uh LastPass. Oh, well we'll talk about that in a second. Okay. Um, Cuz we set that up first. But anyway, yeah. the Brave browser, I really like it so far. Um mm-hmm. I, and I know there are more security-based reasons for why you like it. Yeah. Uh but just from my perspective, not being a you know, a tech journalist, uh I really enjoy using it. It's so simple. Uh most things are intuitive. And um, it it just has all of these settings that you can go through and uh, really customize your browser. Sure. Uh, so so I'm I'm really appreciating the experience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, basically, we just had to get off of Firefox. Now, again, folks, before you know, you bring up any critiques around Brave or around Monoculture. Oh shit, we're on the Chromium engine and everything. Go back and listen to 01 2021. I address all of that. And in the upcoming Brave special that I'm going to do, I will address all of these concerns. Because I agree, I don't want a monoculture at all, uh, like a, a, as far as uh, web rendering engines. I'm just not interested in that. Uh, but there are, you know, there are, we'll explore it further in the future. But, I mean, moving to Brave, and we, I want to talk about some of the ease of that. But, I mean, that, that was that was pretty simple, right? Oh, it was totally simple. All yeah. I had to do was install the Brave browser and then... Um, I, I basically just transferred all of my bookmarks over mm-hmm. and uh, that was it. Yeah. So before we did this, before we took you to brave, we set you up with LastPass. Um, now LastPass is a great move to do because it allows you to have all those passwords and everything. And basically you can, you know, you can have, if you're already on Firefox, you can have LastPass extension installed, right? You can get everything off of Firefox into LastPass. And then just when you install brave, you install the LastPass extension and everything's right there for you, you know, and you don't even have, you don't even have to deal with that. Like reentering your passwords and everything else, like, you, you know, from, from Firefox. Yeah. And LastPass is such a brilliant thing. I wish I had done this years ago. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have LastPass now, do it because I think it was like the best decision the, that I have made as far as my passwords go. Yeah. Ever. Yeah, and it's free. It's free. It, it yes, it's totally free. Uh, you have the account, so you can use it on any browser, even on your phone. Mm-hmm. Um, which I like that too. It was a little tricky setting it up initially. Like I had to spend some time really understanding this process. A little bit of a learning curve. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not too complicated, but it does take some time to get used to. Mm-hmm. Um, because it doesn't always work perfectly. As far as like, if you have a saved password, it's not going to immediately paste it. You have to like go into your vault and copy and paste. Right. Um, but I've been using it so much, uh, especially for generating secure passwords. I oh, really love that, that functionality. Yeah. 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 It's it's so easy. You just uh, tell it how long you want it, the password to be, and then how complex it needs to be and Mm -hmm. it will generate it for you it'll automatically save it so you don't have to remember any passwords except for your master uh so yeah i'm i'm really enjoying the experience of LastPass too 
Yeah. Yeah. So this is where we started, like in the cleanup, you know, like closing accounts, you're getting everything in a last pass, all the passwords generating, you know, maybe making new passwords with it. Uh, all yeah. that, I mean, because it does have a lot of tools. LastPass really does. I actually, I've been going through all of the passwords and accounts that are saved to the Brave browser that I transferred over from, uh, from the other browser that I was using. And I've just been clicking on each account and, and changing my password right? <laughs> because I know Personally, I have reused the same password with like minor minor variations. Sure. Uh, for each account, but it's basically the same password, and that's not a good technique if you want to be secure online. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, it's the right move. And and you know when you're going through LastPass, the beauty of it is is it's a great time to reassess. Okay, what accounts do I have, and yeah. how many of those could get closed? Um, which is you know really important. Um. And ultimately, we're looking at getting you to Linux. Like, that's that's where this is all going to basically end. Yeah, that's the ultimate goal. Right. Um, and, I mean, there's certainly some challenges, I, I, I could imagine, uh, around that. Um, because, Well, not, not really. I mean, the thing is, is that there are some games I know you love playing that, that it's not going to happen on Linux. <laughs> uh, <laughs> are you talking about Age of Mythology? Yeah, like Age of Mythology. Age I mean, of Empires? We could run VMs. I mean, there's ways of doing it, uh, but it, it's certainly a very different situation. Um, but yeah, this is all about, again, that that digital hygiene. And another thing that we're looking at, and I'm going to do a special on this, is upping your, your email game, as it were. Yeah, this one is... Uh... We almost did it, but you told me that there's there might be other options. Yeah, we were going to set you up with Proton Mail. Ultimately, we might still do that. It's really a great option, uh, especially for you know. I mean, because as we say, when you're on, I mean, you're not like you know, you're not a a, a tech guru or uh, necessarily even a tech enthusiast. I mean, you're an engineer, you know, and, and, and different so, kind of technology. Yeah, different. <laughs> right, right. But for a lot of consumer technology, you're not exactly a tech enthusiast, you know, and and so. Uh, but you, I mean, again, what I've always given you so much credit for is that you implement all these things that I've been talking about for years. And I mean, you were implementing them before we were even like, you know, great friends and then eventually lovers. Right. And yeah, well, I just, I know that, that you have done the research right. and I'm open to learning from you. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And, and I've noticed like the, a lot of people are finally paying, really paying attention and saying, wow, no, I need to implement this stuff now because of the events that have happened just in the past few weeks. Yeah. Um, I've actually seen uh, a number of, of my friends transfer over to, to signal as a messaging application. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing how many people have. Yeah. I mean, the notifications I get for people who join telegram and signal, and I almost want to like make a list of people is like, ah, lazy fucker, lazy fucker. No, <laughs> <laughs> we've already moved on from signal. Well, true. But it's just like, yeah, exactly. We used it for years, yeah. literally years, yeah. and then decided there was something better and moved away. And exactly. now people are just coming to signal. Right, right. It's just so <laughs> funny, you know, but I mean, hey, if people are talking, are starting to take it seriously, ultimately it's a win. For yeah, everyone, because definitely. the more secure we all are, the more secure we all are. You understand? And um, yeah, so I think this is, you know, the email thing. I will be doing an email uh, special that's going to cover as many bases as possible of how to set up an email. Um, 
that is going to give you, you know, I mean, depending upon your angle, anonymity, encryption, so on, whatever you're looking for, um, we'll break that down. So we'll get into that and then maybe we'll find out what Ellen decided to use uh, at that point. But um, in any case, so those are, I mean, the simple steps of, you know, kind of working on that digital hygiene. Uh, and when you have all that and you're feeling more secure, your data is encrypted, you have control of your actual fucking data. Uh, that's certainly going to drop some stress levels. Uh, yeah. It makes me feel more confident about being right. online. Yeah, exactly. So uh, with that said, I think we can kind of move on from that and let's get into kind of talking about that mental health. Like we were, we were saying at the top, and uh, as you're, when, whenever you're on, we often, we got a, we have a little tradition going now where we end up talking about the books that we're reading. Um, I don't, while one of these books I have started to read, I mean, I've just started and I want to read it because you were so gaga about this thing. Uh, and that is uh, the happiness hypothesis, right? That's right. I actually listened to this book twice because it was so information dense that I couldn't absorb it all the first time. That's how much you like this book. Yes. You've read it twice. I think it's a very important book. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, So full title, let me give it, is Happiness Hypothesis, Finding Modern Truth and Ancient Wisdom by Jonathan Hyatt. And it's from 2006. Now, he's perhaps even better known for his book, The Righteous Mind. Um, which I read some years ago. I'll admit I was not as impressed with that book, but everything you've told me about the happiness hypothesis, I'm like, wow, this this guy might be really on. Um, I kind of wish a lot of people that read The Righteous Mind read The Happiness Hypothesis based upon what you have told me about it. We're going to get into it because I feel like The Righteous Mind is one of those books that gets used by uh, uh people that give a shit about electoral politics to justify whatever nonsensical position they happen to have. And I think that if they read um, the happiness hypothesis, they would see, wow, you know, this guy isn't exactly as basically what you've told me about this book is, I mean, he, he sounds like a Sterner or a Nietzsche where there's no such thing as morality. Or he sounds like a sovereign saying that, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, morality doesn't exist, um, which because, again, I mean, it cannot be overstated uh, how much like conservatives use the book, The Righteous Mind, to justify their horseshit. Um, and, you know, as to where this guy is not your ally, you know, this guy is telling you, well, let's break it down. You know, sure. Yeah, let's get into it. So, 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 give me, give me a little bit about this book. Tell me about the elephant. Okay. Uh, so this book starts off basically talking about um, the structure of the brain and what it does, how it evolved, and he's a psychologist, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so he really goes into the biology of how our brains function. Mm-hmm. Um. And it kind of talks about how the the layers were built up over, you know, a series of evolutionary stages. Yes. Um, and that's why it's so important to this book for him to use the metaphor of the elephant and the rider. Uh, and he makes the great point that uh, people often think of their brains as if they were driving a car. They push the gas pedal, it goes faster, they turn right and they go right. Um, They step on the brakes and they slow down. But it's not actually that way. Uh, 
because the brain is not your actions, your reactions are not directly correlated to what you command yourself to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more similar to you being atop this mighty beast that has its own passions and its own desires. Uh, and, and that's why he says it's like being on top of a horse or a bull or uh, an elephant. Um because sometimes you can tell the animal turn right and it might not turn right at all. Yeah. Or it might do so slowly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or it might run the opposite direction because it sees food. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> so his example that he uses a lot throughout the book is this elephant and the rider, you know, and that's right. like kind of the two parts of your brain. That, yes. Yeah. yeah. Because the rider is supposed to represent your conscious mind. Mm -hmm. The part of you that thinks in words and makes decisions and um, is, is like actively looking around and trying to enact itself on its surroundings. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the elephant is the subconscious mind, which is obviously much more powerful. Yes. Um, Even according to Freud's estimations, it's like the the iceberg, you know, 3% of your your brain is your conscious mind. Right. And the other 97%, which you can't see because it's below the water level, that's your subconscious. Yeah. Um, So it's much more powerful. And you, your subconscious mind has its own desires and motivations and passions that you can't directly control. Mm -hmm. Your conscious mind, you can't. You can't just tell yourself one day that you're going to make a, a change in your life and then expect it to stick. I mean, this is why New Year's resolutions often fizzle out within a couple weeks. Right. Because you haven't properly trained your elephant. Well, I yeah. And an example. So in what little I've read of the book so far, I thought was really an interesting point that he brings up, which is and that has to do with like the elephant and the rider. And that is, is that. Before the automobile, we, you know, to get somewhere, we were always relying upon, you know, a beast or often enough, unless we walked, I guess, but we were relying upon a beast that had a mind of its own. And so there was almost, there was this unconscious understanding of, you know, that, okay, my will wants to go to San Francisco, but my oxen or horse may not. You know, and, and so and, you have to cajole it to get right, there. Right. But there is a natural empathy and understanding of how life really works um, that we have lost because everything has become so directly controlled and maybe mechanized. It creates systems thinking. But the universe doesn't work on systems. Not really. You know, like the the, the universe works on chaos you know, and constantly adapting to the new chaos, you know? And so I think it's brilliant that he keeps bringing up, you know, the, the rider and the beast or the rider and the elephant, um, because it is an important way to, to look at things, you know, uh, it, it's just, it, it was that, that I thought was really, really interesting for him to bring up is that we can't, we don't, we cannot understand, uh, and we can't even really empathize with the, shall we say case by case nature of nature and of interactions because we think, no, everything's fucking rigid and logical. And it works this way because when I turn the steering wheel, steering wheel, right, the car turns right. 
when if you had an idea of no, well, when I whip the horse, shit, it might just go straight, you know, and I, and I, and, 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 you know, I don't have that kind of control over things. Um, it's a beautiful point, but anyway, please continue. Yeah. So basically he, he goes back to the ancient wisdom, Mm -hmm. um, by, by talking about different authors, different famous people throughout history and, uh, kind of putting on display how his, his hypothesis, uh, represents what they've been saying. Mm -hmm. Uh, so this is one of his big ideas is that, um, you know, there, there is this elephant that exists and the writer doesn't always control it. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially he'll, he'll come up with sayings that represent these big ideas. Sure. Um, and, and for that chapter, what he said was uh, that there were famous people throughout history that had said similar things. Like, I saw the right direction and my mind approved it, but I still went the other direction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like, People who decide to go on a diet, but they can't help themselves if dessert is placed before them. Right. They're still going to eat it. Right. <laughs> um, and and he basically says that there there are three ways that you can train your elephant or train your subconscious uh, to, to be more malleable and more compliant with what your conscious mind wants to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can basically meditate which is totally natural, has lots of health benefits besides uh, retraining your subconscious. Yeah. Um, it just overall improves your health and well-being. Absolutely. Um, so so meditation is a, a great one. Um, he also suggests Prozac or other SSRIs, which target uh, the serotonin receptors in your brain uh, that basically like reset your level of happiness to something that's slightly higher. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not exactly something that I would recommend. Yeah, it's though, a hard no for me. Yeah, I, though I do understand there are people who genuinely have genetic disorders where they need something like that. Um, sure, I mean, there's people who are wired to be more uh, pessimistic, perhaps yes. depressed, yes. even. Um, right, yeah. and he's saying that there everybody has their own set point for mm-hmm. their their pessimism or optimism. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone's on a range, but some people are higher than others. Right. Um, but taking an SSRI would move your set point of, of optimism up. Um, and then the third option is cognitive behavioral therapy, mm-hmm. which um, I am a fan of that. Sure. Um, it's it's a really effective practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's actually far more effective than the traditional psychoanalysis of just talking about things that make you upset and finding the root cause of it. Um, you know, like Freud or Jung's method of, of like regressing back to childhood and, right. and talking about those experiences. Uh, so cognitive behavioral therapy came from this idea that that doesn't actually help. What helps is treating the behavior. So whenever you have like, like if you have a problem with feelings of anger or jealousy, you can stop yourself in those moments and reevaluate how you're reacting. Um, and you can use these positive mantras to reinforce the new behavior. Um, and that's like giving a peanut to your elephant. Every right. time you, you make a right decision, you get a little benefit. You, maybe you get a little uh, endorphin rush or, or hormone boost because it feels good to, to make this positive change. 
and if you do that enough times, eventually you will automatically respond to those situations in a more positive light. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I think it's, it's really, besides meditation, it's the most natural way to, to, to treat your cognitive uh, shortfalls. Uh, or, you know, if you have a behavior that you want to alter, uh, it's a really powerful tool to do that. So is this like, you know, like a pause before you take action? Like, is that? Um, yeah, it, it can be that. It's it's not just a pause, though. It's a very active process. You have to recognize that you're in a moment that challenges you mm-hmm. and have prepared already statements that reinforce positive behavior. Yeah, see, this is really, you know, I mentioned general semantics earlier. There, there's an idea in that called the corticothalamic corticothalamic pause or thalamic. I guess I should say it is like, you never hear anybody say this shit. (laughs) So so yeah, I've read it for years, but this is the first time I've ever actually been able to say it. And that's sort of that. That's, that's a very similar concept to where there is, there is a kind of a trigger that uh, can set the ship straight you know, before you react, like you recognize the situation that you're in. And obviously like cortico is, you know, cortex and thalamus, you know, um, and, and that's, that's what that's referencing. Um, that's a, that's, that's very interesting. So, okay. So there's three things that, that, that people can do. Um, I was surprised though, that like, ultimately, I mean, tell me a little bit more about, because here's the thing, a lot of stress that people deal with is that they have a, they have this notion of this is how things should be, right? Um, that's a problem. And, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> because and, there is no way that things should be. No, right, right. Um, no one has to do anything just because you think something should be, you know, a, a certain way. Um, myself and one of kind of Sovereign Tech's major themes is just providing the amount of the, the largest amount of options, the greatest amount of options, uh, you know, for you, like avenues for any human being to be able to traverse. It's what it's all about is options. Right. Um, but a lot of people are no rigid. This is how things should be. But Hyatt here is basically saying, no, that, that that's just not so. I mean, tell me more about that. Yeah. So there's two things I want to say about that. Sure. It's really interesting that you bring up the idea of having more options. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that is essential to freedom. Yeah. But what Hyatt argues uh, later on in the book is that having more options doesn't actually make people happier. Like people oh. think that having more options makes them mm. happier, but not always. I mean, and this has been proven by other studies too, Sure, is that the more options you have, the more you feel like you didn't choose the best one when, when you do make a decision. Right. Um, it's, it's like the difference between having a choice between three flavors of ice cream or 20 Whenever you do pick one, uh, you can't really be sure that it's the best one because there's so many others. Oh, I think this is absolutely true. I mean, this is speaking of earlier. This is why I think a lot of people are on social media is because it gives them a very simple worldview to buy into in places they think that they can go for the truth without having to critically think. You know, I get to choose, you know, they don't want to choose between uh, pick your ism, you know, uh, whatever, whatever that happens to be socialism, communism, capitalism, whatever, Georgism, I don't know, whatever ism they want to run with. Um, 
they just want, okay, no, I want to, you know, there should be, there should be an us versus them. There needs to be a horde and an alliance and I'll pick one of those. You know, they don't want choice. You're absolutely right. It reduces their options by sticking with the well-worn path. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Continue, please. Yeah. So anyway, um, having more options doesn't always make someone happier. What makes people happy is is um, feeling like they've made a really good beneficial choice and not just Mm -hmm. for themselves, but for the people around them that they care about. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was the first thing. And the second thing was. So you also mentioned that people believe that there's a way that things should be. Yes. Um, They really have a strong prejudice towards a a certain path. Mm -hmm. Um, But one thing that Haidt argues in this book is that there there is no way that things should be. And he best sums up this idea by quoting Shakespeare and saying that nothing is good or bad, but thinking makes it so. So anything that happens to you, it's it's not there's no motive behind it necessarily. Nothing's mm-hmm. good or bad. It's how you evaluate it and how it how it affects you mentally and and how you make meaning out of it. That, that gives it the good or bad quality. Yeah. I mean, life is just so complex beyond the possibility of blanket terming or, te- or big tenting any action as good or bad, you know, because people say, well, that, and I've, I've brought this up many times, you know, that guy, uh, you know, he, he, he stole, uh, uh, I don't know. He stole a can of beans or something with a gun or, you know, he, or he cut me off on the highway, all these things. And it's like, you, you know, the person that cut you off on the highway, fuck, maybe they're running their pregnant wife to the fucking hospital, you know, or the can of beans guy might have a kid at home and he just doesn't have the money. And, you know, he did what he had to do, whatever. I mean, point being like, <laughs> things are just way too complex. This idea of, of good, bad, right. And wrong. No, <laughs> you know, like that, that's not there. Uh, at all. And there are, oh, all right. So this is controversial. And, and I think this was maybe to help sell his book. He made a very controversial, uh, example. Uh, and we'll, we'll get into it, um, about the, 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 the brother and the sister. Oh yes. <laughs> How could I forget? Yeah. Yeah. So he, he tells this story, a theoretical story because he's a psychologist that right. studies the the disgust response in humans. So he is really fascinated by this and it's part of his job to come up with scenarios that disgust people yeah. and then figure out why do they feel that way? It's such a great job. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> one of the stories that he tells uh, to his subjects uh, to get a response out of them is there. So, so he wants to know what's your response to uh, the brother and the sister who are on vacation together in a mm-hmm. cabin alone, and they decide that it would be interesting for them to make love. And the the sister's already on birth control. The brother uses a condom, so there's no chance of pregnancy. Uh, and they both feel closer after the encounter, even though they decide not to do it again. Um, so is this right or wrong? And can you explain why? And right. the fascinating thing is that most people say, well, no, it's wrong. I mean, what if they had a child? There's a greater chance of genetic mutation because sure. of the inbreeding. Yep. But they both used uh, birth control. So that's not a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then most people say, well, I still feel like it's wrong, but I can't exactly put my finger on why. 
Uh, and sometimes people will make up reasons. They'll confabulate. Mm-hmm. The, they respond with disgust, so they have to reach for some sort of reason as to why. Or this is where the power of religion comes in, because you can use it to justify any position you have, you know, because God. So, yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, c- continue. Sure. Well, basically, what he points out with that experiment is that uh, people think that their beliefs have some sort of rational backing behind them when, at times... There is no reason behind it. It's just uh, an emotional response. It's right. what you've been trained to feel your entire life. Right. Um, and certainly there are certain things that are genetic, that that are common to all of humanity. Um, you know, like people being afraid of, of snakes or spiders. I, I suppose I shouldn't say all humanity, but the vast yeah. majority. Um, and and this is another case of, of where people feel like it's wrong and they think that they have reasons as to why, but Mm -hmm. clearly they, they actually don't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to like point at in that example, it's easy to point at and say, well, there's a, by an evolutionary drive to not, you know, because the genes want to express themselves perhaps in the best way possible. And you could, you could kind of make an argument from, from evolution, but then at the same time, you know, people are uh, so hot, about their vaunted reason and reason is something that is supposed to go beyond the instinct, right? Like logic is supposed to go beyond the instinct or beyond the evolutionary drive perhaps. Um, so yeah, I love this work. I, I, I mean, it's, it's an incredibly controversial example that I am not standing behind for a second. I am just saying that I appreciate his work in pointing out, Hey, well, why do you really think that this is wrong? And then, you know, when you deconstruct that, Oh boy, what are you left with? Uh, frankly, a handful of nothing, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's really fascinating, too. He talks about Gazenica's split brain experiments. Oh, fuck. Oh. I know that freaks you out. (laughs) This Uh, is so, this is real. Like Phantom Hand Syndrome, or not Phantom, or what what do they call it? Yeah, Um, yeah. Is it it Phantom Hand Syndrome? Phantom Limb. Well, not fan. Well, phantom limb is when you lost something, like you lost an arm, but you still feel. Oh, it's it. like the alien hand. The alien. That's what it yeah. is. It's the alien hand. This. I mean, people really did this. So, so they cut the. Um, so there were people who were. Uh, this wasn't just was a tr- like a, an experiment. It was a treatment. No, it was a treatment for epilepsy. Yes. Yeah. It actually improved people's lives. Right. It wasn't just like some secret Nazi doctor experiment. <laughs> I'm sure they did plenty of it, but yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, so anyway. Uh, these people had their their corpus callosum severed, which is a bridge between the right and left hemisphere exactly. of your brain. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and there were actually experiments done with these people where they would be shown an image with one eye, either left or right, and if it was on the if if they saw it with the right eye, uh, the the image would be sent to the left hemisphere of the brain, mm-hmm. uh, and vice versa. So. They actually discovered, and there's there's a lot more detail in this experiment, but yeah. essentially what they discovered is if you see an image with one, the side of your brain that doesn't do language processing, uh, was, well, actually, I should start with the other side. If you see an image with the side of your brain that does the, the language processing, then you can immediately say, oh, that was a hat on the card, or that was a car. Um, but if you do it on the other side, then... People can't exactly, they don't have a verbalization mm-hmm. for what they saw. Um, 
but they did an additional experiment where they showed two images and it was flashed for just a few milliseconds. Um, so they had to pick out which images they were flashed after it was, after the experiment was over. Um, and, and say what the connection was. And they actually discovered that uh, people will confabulate and make up reasons for why they chose the images uh, that are associated with the ones they saw. Right. Um, that was the ultimate result. There's more going on in there that I can't explain. Yeah. Uh, just talking about it off the top of my head. But essentially, people will say, oh, I saw, I saw this, and so this must be associated with with it because um you know you have to clean the the chicken's coop with a shovel or mm-hmm. something um when the truth is like they're they're totally making up a reason for why they chose that card right and they could be flashed a, a command on the side of their with the eye that goes to the side of the brain that doesn't have the language processing uh like like if they're flashed the word walk they'll get up and start walking away. And when asked why they'll say, Oh, I was going to the bathroom or I was going to get a drink or something. Even though it wasn't the case. Yeah. So yeah. they can actually have ideas implanted in their brain Ugh. without knowing that it's happening. They'll actually think that the idea was generated from within. Yeah. This is such a weird, like, and, and for folks to understand, like, it's funny too, because I was telling you about split brain experiments before you started reading this book. And cause like, I, I don't know, I was reading it one night and I forgot how I even ended up there. I think I was doing something on like, uh, I think I was read all right. What I was reading was about, uh, alien consciousness stories in science fiction. So I was reading about that. Um, and it led me to like Wikipedia about these split brain experiments. And I'm just reading this and just the thought of your, uh, corpus callosum of that getting cut. Oh, it just freaks me the fuck out. Like, like, and I'm not a, yeah, I'm not a squeamish guy. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, if, I mean, if we want to get like a uh, uh, visceral about it, I mean, I've, you know, I, I've helped people like put parts back in self, inside of themselves. I mean, like I'm not a squeamish guy at all. Okay. But that just bothers the fuck out of me. And really anything that messes with my brain, uh, I'm, I'm not okay with because I've worked so hard on this thing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, uh, n- not wow, really grosses me out. Just just thinking about it, like makes my stomach turn a little bit. Well, fortunately, you don't have to get this uh, yeah, surgery, no, right? Because <laughs> you don't have epilo- right. epilepsy. Just so, but I mean, and it does raise a lot of questions about consciousness itself. I don't want to get sidetracked, but wow, is it weird? Um, yeah, yeah, the brain is is very important to that, but not the whole thing, right? Uh, and we'll talk about that in the next book. Yeah, but uh, there there are a couple other major points that he talks about in the happiness hypothesis. Um, things like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, and he makes the argument, you know, that's not always true, but mm-hmm. there are cases where it is true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he also talks about how people are incredibly social beings, but they're also highly independent, yeah. and and it's this contradiction. But there are universals like. Um, like the Dunbar number that, you know, humans need this connection. They need to feel, um, that they have really fulfilling relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, and he talks more about relationships 
at the end of the book, not just with other people, but also with your job and, uh, you know, with your, your hobbies or your habits. Um, so basically the conclusion of the book is, is, you know, that happiness comes from between, not from within or from without, like, uh, like the two major differing philosophies of the, the ancient East and, and the new Western culture, Mm -hmm. uh, they both claim. Like people say, uh, you you can, well, people say you can't buy happiness, but people believe that you can. Um, right. And the truth is, you you can purchase things that increase your happiness, but not everything that you buy is going to make you happy. Right. Some things like like new watches or whatever, um, they're they're just a signal to other people. That you have wealth and that that doesn't ultimately make you happier. What makes you happier is spending time with the ones you love. Yeah. I mean, I I think, you know, a book like this that basically is helping you get your thought process into shape is is really key. You know, like, why do you react this way? Why can't I? I mean, especially, you know, like you said, with the New Year's resolutions things, Um you know, trying to understand, okay, why can't I get on this diet? Why can't I stick to it? And this book, you know, helps explain, well, here's solutions and this is why, you know, and I think that that's, that's absolutely key. And frankly, a great thing to open up, you know, discussing because we will get into this, you know, uh, diet, uh, you know, kind of new things that we're doing as far as that goes, um, supplements and all this stuff, like how do I stick to it or how do I stick to a workout regime? Well, Figure out how your brain works first and why you can't stick to it, perhaps. Um, I think it also speaks to a overall point that's going to come up throughout this episode that you are an individual and you've got to listen to your body. And, you know, no one can really, I mean, you can get an idea of how things work. Like you said, there are kind of certain universals, but you've really got to learn to listen to your body and understand how you operate, you know, because you look at the person next to you, it's like, well, how do they How do they eat no sugar so easily? You know, like they don't even bother touching it. Uh, Well, you operate a different way and you got to understand how you operate, you know, and and appreciate and respect that. So um, I want to get into another book. Do you think that have we got the happiness hypothesis covered? Yeah, there's so much in that book. I could keep talking about it, but I think it'd be wise for us to to move on to the next book so that we can get into the the main topics of, of the show. Right. So the next thing I want to talk about is actually from a uh, an institute, an organization that I've been very supportive of and have talked about many, many times over the years um, on Sovereign Tech. So I think it's great to to bring it up. Now, the institute itself is the HeartMath Institute, um, which does very unique and interesting work, in my opinion, but also very valid uh, work. I recognize that not everybody in um, academic circles necessarily buys everything that the HeartMath Institute lays out, but I think they are hitting on some very, very uh, important uh, concepts, notions, and frankly, reality uh, of how the human body works. I mean, they're basically paying attention to, uh, very simply, to, um, I mean, they're doing a lot more than this, but one of the things they're paying attention to is like the, the communication between the brain and your literal heart and like, say, the electromagnetic fields that, you know, operate between those two. Um, 
but so you read a, you read a book. It's a short book. This book came out originally, I think in like 1999 and it's, uh, but it's had like newer editions redone, you know, over and over again, but it's called the heart math solution. So give me the breakdown on this. So this book is really great. It's, it's only like four or five hours. It's kind of a short listen. Yeah. Uh, but it's so fascinating. Like I, I, I was amazed because they were talking about the biology of the heart, what the heart actually does and proving scientifically that it is actually a thinking and feeling center. Right. And there's, there's physical basis for this. The heart has neurons. Yes. The heart produces endorphins. Yes. The heart communicates important information to the rest of your body, not just with electrochemical signals, but also with its timing and its pressure. Mm-hmm. That is a language that your heart speaks because not every so so you can you can get a general idea of how fast your heart is beating by like timing your pulse. Uh but that doesn't measure the the difference in the length of time between each beat. And that is actually a way that your heart communicates with the rest of your body. Right. Uh, not only that, but your heart does generate an electromagnetic field. Yep. It's actually 20 times stronger than the one that your brain produces. Um, and it can be measured up to 10 feet away. Yeah. So, so this is also fascinating because your heart's magnetic field could literally interact with the magnetic field of other people. Oh, yes. Oh, this is why. So, and this is why I've brought up the heart, the heart math Institute many times, a couple things. One is that, you know, we, we think, oh, wow, those, those ancient Egyptians, they were such fucking morons. Why didn't they care about the brain? They tossed that out, but they put the, the heart in a canopic jar because they thought that was like the center of a person's consciousness or intelligence. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Maybe they weren't so stupid, you know, <laughs> like maybe they understood something. Um, and also, you know, the, as I often say, the world is suffering from, and this is long before the pandemic, the world is suffering from two things. Lack of touch, uh, and we don't tell each other how we really feel. Um, both of those are relative to empathy, but I think that we actually have a really hard time, you know, being empathetic. I think that this electromagnetic field is a form of communication. It's an unconscious form of communication. Um, that, I mean, in other cultures around the world, like Japanese and others have this idea that there are languages, it's not just body language. There are languages that so many aspects of being a human being that, that you speak to each other that are not verbal at all. You know, in fact, I mean, now there's even like research to suggest this, that 90% of communication or only 10% of communication is verbal. 90% the rest of communication of what a person receives comes from completely different things. And I think that this, when there is a lack of closeness, that's what allows for, and that speaks to that lack of touch. That's what allows for, I think other human beings really to do very horrendous shit. It's because they don't feel this, you know, field between each other anymore. Um, And uh, to say nothing of even just the, you know, the physical contact, but even just that closeness, uh, real issue. Go ahead. Yeah. And smell is also a major part of that. I mean, whatever hormones you are secreting from your body, those are, uh, well, other people can smell it. This And and this has actually been proven 
people will sweat. Uh, people have sweated on pads in experiments while being neutral and while being scared. Mm -hmm. And then other people had to smell what was on the pad. And people who smelled the pad from the people who were scared while mm -hmm. they sweated, uh, they got scared. Yeah. They could smell it. Literally yeah. smell the fear. Well, this is another thing that actually speaks to Hyatt's work that we're like, we're removed from the animal world in a very real way, you know, in the mechanized world. And we forget as humans, and we can even look at other primates. We forget just how much smell matters. Smells a bigger deal to, I mean, in fact, I'd almost argue the reason a lot of animals, you know, other animals haven't developed uh, like really complex language skills they don't need to like the, the smell and so many other things like are telling them so much more of a story. You know, I mean, you, like there's the old saying, uh, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. A scent is worth a million. <laughs> right. And, and we forget that, but we can easily, hell we could look at, I mean, we can look at our cat captain and everything he does is he smells first. It's not even like a look. It's not, you know, whatever it's just, you know, he's just, he's sniffing around. You can, if you take a second to look at how animals interact, you can see this, how key smell is. And we fucking just ignore it. And we just sanitize the shit out of every goddamn thing, you know, to the point that we we're, we're walking around almost literally half blind, you know, because we don't smell or because we don't get close enough to things where other aspects say like the electromagnetic field of our heart doesn't come in contact with it. And we ignore this stuff really at our peril, but continue, please. Yeah, well, you're you're absolutely right. Um, that is the way to connect and communicate with people. Mm -hmm. uh, body language is a big part, of course. Sure. But um, yeah, the physical closeness, there are multiple aspects of communication with someone just being close to them. Right. Um, so, so the heart math solution that is being argued for in this book is based off of all of that research, saying the heart is actually a thinking feeling communicating organ yes absolutely uh it it does so many functions besides just pump your blood like thinking about it just as a pump is is totally underselling mm -hmm. all of the things that it does for you um and and so the solution is for any time you're feeling stressed or angry or um just feeling experiencing an emotion that's negative um you can you can take time out to sit and feel your heart and just uh, that's it. For, take five minutes and just focus on your heart. Kind of like the meditation. Yeah. 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 Um, but, it, you know, it's like focusing your consciousness there and trying to see what is your heart telling you, because sometimes uh, solutions will just come to you uh, if, if you sit and think about it long enough. Right. Uh, and. Sometimes it doesn't work. Like they say, it's not always a, a sure thing. But essentially, the the solution is just to pay more attention to what your heart is telling you, because there, that has traditionally been seen as the seat of the the soul or the spirit, or even if you just want to say emotion, mm -hmm. feeling. Um, you know, whenever people feel something really strongly, they they put their hand to their heart, right, as as a way of expressing how strong that feeling was. Um, and there is, there's something to that. Uh, so just focusing on your heart and what it's telling you, um, I think could be really beneficial. And that's, that's what this book is arguing for essentially. Yeah. So 
uh, I mean, like the idea that all consciousness and all thought process and everything else just happens upstairs, just happens, you know, like in, in the physical brain. I mean, that's just nonsense. Like just, just stop. People need to stop with that, that whole line of thinking. Um, I mean, we can, we'll kind of touch on it actually when we talk about probiotics, uh, later on, but I mean, like how much your gut flora has to do with your attitude and attitude is everything when it comes to perception and perception is absolutely key to your reactions. I mean, this is, you know, it's, it's all eight, it's dominoes. I mean, your, your reality is built around your perceptions. Exactly. And so arguably your reality, your perceptions are built around not just your brain, but it's built around your heart. It's built around, you know, your gut flora. It's built around the sensations that hopefully you're, you're taking the time to receive throughout, you know, every sensory organ on your body. I mean, you know, your entire epidermis for fuck's sake, but I mean, you know, you would like what your toes are doing, what your fingers are doing and so on. It's, there is so it's, I, I hate this word, but I'll use it. I mean, there's such a holistic approach to the actions that you take. And yeah, I think taking five minutes, it's like, whoa, what is, you know, basically what is the heart saying? Or what is the rest of my body, you know, saying, paying attention to every single organ within you. And you can do that. Take some quiet, you know, take some stillness and everything, but you can do that. It's tough though. Today, it's very tough because you're just bombarded. Your senses are bombarded with, with horseshit nonstop. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think the main point is that, you know, if you're feeling an initial response to something, mm-hmm. um, pay attention to it. Yeah. Because oftentimes that's, people call it the gut instinct. Mm-hmm. Um, it might also be called the heart instinct. Uh, you know, it, you have more intelligence than just your consciousness. Right. And it's important to pay attention to that because oftentimes there's more wisdom there than, than you can give it credit for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd butcher the Nietzsche quote, but there's, there's a, a much better quote by Nietzsche than, than, you know, that which doesn't kill us makes us stronger, but it's that, uh, there's, there's more, what is it? There's more wisdom in your body than in all your philosophers combined. And man, if that's not one of the most, if not the most true statement ever said, um, and I, you know, I agree with that. And he's not just talking about in your brain. He's talking about in the entire, you know, he's saying body, your whole body. Uh, and I, I think that's really key. So yeah, beautiful book and something that needs to be researched. Like you need to understand how your body operates overall, you know, and how to listen to the entire package. Um, yes. Because we don't do that. Yeah. And and this is kind of part of what I was saying earlier when, when you said mind body. And I said, there might be something else right. that we want to add to that. Right. So if you're going to talk about the mind as something separate from the body, then I mm-hmm. think we should also add emotion or spirit or mm-hmm. something like that, something mm-hmm. that fits in that realm, uh, because that's also an incredibly important aspect to health and to consciousness itself. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree um, that there there is kind of and, and I think it creates. I mean, mind part of the problem is, is that we in this sort of what we're speaking to too many people just think of mind as the physical brain, you know, and that somehow I just have to fix the chemistry that's going on up there. Right. You know, make, take Prozac or whatever, but I think you actually need to go further. I think, and I'm not saying take Prozac. Um, I'm just saying, I think you need to go further. You need to understand that, that there is so much chemistry going on 
before it even gets to the brain necessarily, you know, and who knows where it starts. It could be chicken and the egg. I mean, it could be paradoxical for fuck's sake. I don't know, but it could start in all three at the same time. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. But like understanding alone, even if you don't know the order, the process, the order of processes, understanding alone that no, your heart is just, it's just as important as your brain. And I mean, even when you just, when you consider what the HeartMath Institute is saying, and this actually will play well really into our, our kind of the first story I want to get into here, that'll start talking about a little more physical health, perhaps, um, even though, again, they shouldn't be seen as separate, but that like, why would you do anything in your diet or in your life that would in any way affect you, your, your cardiovascular system that would in any way, you know, affect your heart. If your heart is so important to your, to the way that you think your heart has neurons, you know, you're going to take, take the fuck care of that thing at all costs. Well, I think people would, if they understood actually how detrimental it is to their physical health and well-being, if, if, if they could see how powerful stress and mm-hmm. anger is right to, to the heart, yes, because the reason that this solution was developed was to help people combat those feelings of stress, yes. anger, jealousy, yes. uh, rage, hatred. Yeah. Uh, anytime you're feeling those, it's actually having major negative detrimental effects to your health. Right. Um, and to your heart, to your cardiovascular system, mm-hmm. uh, because there are elevated levels of stress hormone that can actually stay elevated for hours afterwards, yes. even if you only feel it for a few minutes, like yeah. the guy on the highway cuts you off. If you get serious road rage from that, that's going to literally affect you the rest of the day. Yeah, You might not even be aware of it. It might be subtle, but it's it's measurable. There are hormones that they can measure that tell that have told them in experiments that, yeah, when when you feel this, even for a few minutes, mm-hmm. it can really ruin your health and that's why it's so important to catch yourself before you go down that spiral and start listening to your heart and realize well you know maybe he was rushing his pregnant wife to the hospital or something you know you don't know what the motivation was behind that but you can affect the way that you respond to it and if you really value your health you will find ways to not be pissed off yeah absolutely uh (laughs) I just want to cue the band heart, you know, listen to you. (laughs) Was that heart? I think that was heart. Anyway. (laughs) So anyway, (laughs) let's, why don't we, let's take a little break. And then I think we can, so this book, uh, the heart math solution, absolutely. Everybody check this out. Uh, If you go to their website, they have like, fuck, they have devices, apps, all kinds of things, you know, that are, that are actionable. You know, this isn't just like woo woo stuff. Hey, believe this. You know, they have like real shit that you can get your hands on that can help out with this process, managing stress and so on, um, that I, I, I think are worth looking into, you know, if this is an issue, uh, for anyone. So, um, okay. So let's take that break and then we're going to come back and we are going to get into, well, shall we say more of the physical side and uh, we'll be right back with more sovereign tech. Woo. Hey, is Sovereign Tech not enough for you? Well, let me tell you about something you'll never get enough of. No, no, I mean it. We're talking about a radio show and podcast that goes all night long, seven nights a week, three hours a night, 365 days a year, and has been going since the early aughts, baby. I am talking about none other 
than free talk live. It's the show you control. That's right. It's an open phones call in show that is ready for you. And if you're worried that your voice isn't going to get heard, don't be. We are talking about the only libertarian radio show stateside. And not only that, it's also the number 26 talk show in the United States. Start listening now and go ahead and hit that massive back catalog at freetalklive.com. The Golden Stallion guarantees a good time, and you might even find some episodes with me on them when you do. That's freetalklive.com, and we thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Let's get back to the show. We are back with more Sovereign Tech, uh, that being the supplements, supplemental. <laughs> and of course, you have me, Brian Sovereign, and Ellen Sovereign. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to, because, you know, I have an old saying on Sovereign Tech, an old axiom, and that is outlive the state. You know, like, how do you get freedom? Well, just outlive the state. Yeah, be healthier, wealthier, and wiser. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> Maybe uh, not wealthier, but. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, whatever that looks like. That That's a subjective thing, I think, for a lot of people. Sure. But, uh, yeah, you know, being ridiculously healthy, I mean, that's, that's a great way to get some happiness in your life. And there has been, so let, let, let's get into this. Um, I've got a story from CNN here. There has been a trend. It's not new. Um, there is a, like a, a body positivity movement, which in the abstract and in its grassroots, and it did have a genuine grassroots form, I think it's an absolutely beautiful thing. Like, I, th I think it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, definitely. Right. Uh, you know, appreciating and loving yourself is really the, the key to being able to love other people. Yes. And to enjoy and appreciate life. Yeah. And really, I think to, to you know, even have the willpower to, to make, uh, you know, engage in actionable steps uh, to go in whatever direction you want to go. Yeah. You know, whatever that happens to be. Feeling like you are worthy. Uh, sure. Yeah. And we're, we are all, you know, I mean, every human, I mean, you're worthy. All right. You're a human being. You're worthy. Like there's no, there's no, uh, 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 statute of, uh, I don't know. Like there's, there's no limits on this. Okay. Um, and, and that's, I think that's a really key aspect to kind of what's been going on. So basically a couple weeks ago, Cosmo as in Cosmopolitan put out a, I think it was a multi-cover series uh, about, well, the, the term that was getting tossed around or the phrase was fat but fit. Basically saying that, uh, no, you know, you can be perfectly healthy and be, um, you know, be obese. Um, in fact, I, I've heard a great term go around now. Instead of saying like overweight, like, you know, this is dumb. Okay. So I, I have a, a, uh, a me band five. It's kind of like a Fitbit. Um, and it tells me like what my weight should be, you know, that I'm six foot one. So I weigh right now, I weigh about 220. Um, it says I should weigh like 170 pounds or something like that. Well, I mean, maybe if you were a skeleton, right. <laughs> and, and, and see, that's, that's a problem, right? Is that there's these standards of you're supposed to weigh this much, you know, I am not unfit, not by a long shot. <laughs> okay. I don't know how it's figuring that out because I think you have a very large skeletal setup. Yeah. So 
I, I think your body weight is perfect for your frame. Right. So, yeah, exactly. So there, there's problems with this. Also, you know, I mean, like I have a and I'm not it's not a boast. I'm just saying because I work on it. OK, it's not a boast. Uh, I have significant muscle mass yeah, by design. Really <laughs> heavy, too. Right. OK, so I'm never going to weigh 170 like that. It's just nor should you. Right. I'd be terrified if I weighed 170. But that doesn't mean that I'm overweight. OK, now. So so there's a difference between overweight and over fat. Okay. Oh, I see what you're, yeah, the distinction between just being heavier than your average BMI or whatever. Exactly. And then actually being, uh, having a large fat supply on your body. So body fat percentage is what actually matters. Weight is, I mean, weight can be useful if you have like certain goals that you're going for. Are you burning fat or whatever, you know, things like this. But ultimately it means nothing. Okay. Like it really doesn't mean anything, you know, it's a helpful metric, but it is not the metric. Unfortunately in our society, it seems like the the scale is the metric. And to, to prove the point, it's been a cultural norm for as long as I can remember. And as an old book as I can remember where uh, you don't ask a woman uh, how much she weighs. Right. I'll tell you right now how much I weigh. Uh, Sure. 135. All right. So you see, but this is the thing is there's a stigma that you don't do that. Why? Because people are judged by their weight. That's nonsense. No, it's by their pants size. Sure. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. But I mean, it's just, yeah, I know. I I know what you're saying. (laughs) No, there's just some ridiculous alternative. Yeah. If you're not wearing a size negative two, you're, what are you? Right. Uh, (laughs) But it's still just as pointless is what I'm trying to say. Yes, exactly. Um, so these metrics, like people, just like everything else we've been talking about in this episode, it's all wrong. You know, like, like it's absolutely all wrong. Um, I think so first off, okay. So these, uh, the, these, these covers and these stories about how, no, you know, you can be over fat and be healthy, uh, caused quite a stir in the fitness space. And in fact, I would might personally I'll just say I was quite livid. Now, let me be abundantly clear. I'm well aware that there are people who they have genuine conditions, okay, to where um, they are naturally, you know, if we're going to use the term over fat, right, to where their BMI is 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 something that would not be considered the healthy norm. Well, certainly this is the condition of people in America where over 50% of people are obese. This is just what the world is now. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I understand that like that, that's become like the norm. Okay. Uh, and that has to do with American diet and, and a bunch of other things. I'm just saying that there are genuine medical conditions that people have that have nothing to do with diet. It doesn't matter what they ate or whatever to where their BMI would still be out of range according to, you know, whatever, you know, nutritionist or, or you know, medical professional. So I want to be, I want to be incredibly sensitive to that because I know that that's very real. All right. And, and this, but this, this kind of speaks to the overall problem here is like, it's not really, and I want to read the story, but it's not really an issue of, you know, like, can you be healthy and over fat? Okay. The real issue here is that people are being made to feel less worthy because they do not fit in this Hollywood paradigm of what healthy is. Okay. Or what healthy looks like. And I think that's the real issue that's going on. 
And, and I agreed that, that, that there is a problem in society. Oh, beauty the, standards are so out of whack. It's, it's really disgusting. Yes. And it, disgusting is a great word for it. It's terrible. Okay. So let me be abundantly clear that everyone is worthy. Okay. You know, based on their humanity alone, regardless of, you know, whatever physicality, mentality, go down the list. Okay. So let me, you know, I want to, I want to be super clear on that. The other point and other fitness people have brought this up is that, uh, if you're looking at Cosmo <laughs> for, for your, uh, uh, you know, for your health advice, oh man, <laughs> are you looking in the wrong fucking place? <laughs> and as somebody who has dealt directly with editors at Cosmo, I'll admit it. Okay. Uh, I mean, I can tell you like, like th- th- these are just not the people to trust. You know, uh, don't, don't do it. And I mean, and, and, and if you've listened to Sovereign Tech over a long period of time, you know, very well, my, uh, history and, and my experiences and the, well, anyway, it's just, it's a mess. It's more of that crap that like what's online isn't real. So, um, I want to read the story and get into it. Uh, but I wanted to caveat with all of that. And in fact, other people have brought up, it was really great. They're saying, well, like, if you're going to believe what Cosmo says, like, let's go back to like the late nineties and early aughts where you had this, what did they call it? Heroin chic. And it's not heroin like Lara Croft. It's heroin, like, you know, the drug, uh, where basically what Cosmo thought was beautiful and should be on the fucking cover of their magazine were people who looked incredibly malnourished, uh, like they didn't get any sleep. You know, I, I mean, it's and this kinda, is why anorexia and bulimia are right? so rampant with with models, but even with younger people, mm-hmm. um, because it, it, it was sold to them for so long that you know being that skinny is yeah. what makes you beautiful, right? And that could literally kill you. Yeah, absolutely. Or wind you up in the hospital. Yeah. So Cosmo is not the place to give two shits about what they think, really about anything, in my opinion. Um, anyway, that, that gets into a much, much larger story that I could, I could really share a lot of anecdotes on, but bottom line being, I want to get into the CNN story quick and it's not long, but it raises some interesting points that I think need to be considered, especially around this fat, but fit, uh, 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 concept, you know, so are we ready for this? I'm ready. Okay. Uh, fat but fit is a myth when it comes to heart health, new study shows. And that's why I think it's great to bring this in because we were just talking about the HeartMath Institute and the HeartMath Solution. So here we go. We'll read it. Uh, and this is from, by the way, this is from uh, January 21st, 2021. So this is as fresh as it gets. Yeah. Um, so here it is. The negative effect uh, effects of excess body fat on heart health can't be canceled out by maintaining an active lifestyle, according to new research. Stop for a second. This is important. Okay. Because... Let's just say this. I mean, you and I, Ellen, we go to the gym. We'll talk about this more in a minute. We go to the gym and we've been going for a long time enough that we kind of know who's the regulars, who's not right. Definitely. And, and, you know, you can say, well, 2020 happened. Yeah, I know. But really in New Hampshire, that as far as being out of the gym, that was only true for about a month to two to three months tops. Right. It was like March to June because we started going back in in June. And the regulars were right there, you know, like we, we, you know, these people, I mean, you instantly saw them. Um, and I think there's a lot of people there who have been working out for years that 
Now they might have a medical condition like I was talking about earlier and I'd be respectful to that, but where like that BMI has not gone down. I mean, they're strong, no doubt about that. They're active. They're at the gym as often as we are. They're rocking it. We're there a lot. Um, but like, you're not, you're seeing maybe improvements in like their biceps are bigger or something like that, but you're not seeing any improvements on a more holistic sense. Yeah. Do you it, get what I'm saying? It almost looks as though while they are strong and fit, mm -hmm. uh, they have a lot of muscle mass. They, their diet is really out of balance. Something's not clicking. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and look, I, you know, people can be however they want to be. Do you understand? That's why I wanted to caveat this whole conversation with you are worthy regardless. Okay. I am not any better than you because whatever, you know, whatever metric you want to go by or whatever I do at the gym or how I look or something like that. Absolutely. That's just not the case. Okay. So, but this is really key is that just because I think a lot of these people think, and I bet I could ask them very, and of course I do so in an empathetic fashion. I bet I could ask them, you know, uh, why are you doing this? You know, and, and they would just say, well, you know, it's important for me to work out, but then it would never get any further than, well, I am trying to achieve, you know, said goal. Like a lot of people I think just go to the gym because they read a story or their doctor told them, Hey, you should, you know, get your heart rate up. Um, you know, two, three times a week for about 15 minutes. And that's all that they're doing, you know, and, and there are larger issues though, relevant to heart health that I don't think are being considered. And the story is kind of bringing that to four. So I'm going to keep reading here. Uh, previous studies had suggested that being physically fit could mitigate the negative effects of being overweight on heart health. Uh, or as we said earlier, perhaps over fat is a better term, but this is not the case. According to a new study in the European journal of preventative cardiology, a journal, blah, 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 published Thursday, quote, one cannot be fat, but healthy. This was the first nationwide analysis to show that being regularly active is not likely to eliminate the detrimental health effects of excess body fat End quote said uh, study author Alejandro Lucia. Uh, quote, our findings refute the notion that a physically active lifestyle can completely negate the deleterious effects of overweight and obesity, end quote. Uh, previous research provided some evidence that people who were, quote, fat but fit, end quote, could have similar cardiovascular health to those who were, quote, thin but unfit, end quote. But Lucia said this has had unintended consequences. Quote, this has led to controversial proposals for health policies to prioritize physical activity and fitness above weight loss. Uh, our study sought to clarify the links between activity, body weight, and heart health. End quote. Researchers uh, used data from 500,000, 527,662 working adults, half a million people. This is not some 3,000 person study that Harvard somehow thought was good enough. This is half a million people that this was done on. Uh, from Spain, uh, insured by an occupational risk prevention company, but with an average age of 42. The, they were put into groups according to activity and groups by body weight. 42% of, of participants were normal weight with a body mass index of, uh, 20 to, or 20 to 24.9. Okay. And then 41% were overweight, uh, body mass index of 25 to 29.9 and 18% were obese. BMI 30 or above. Uh, then researchers looked at their cardiovascular health by character categorizing them for diabetes, high cholesterol, and high blood pressure, all of which are major risk factors for stroke and heart attack. After investigating the associations between BMI, activity level, and risk factors, 
researchers concluded that any level of activity meant it was less likely that an individual would have any of the three risk factors compared with no exercise, with the risk of high blood pressure and diabetes decreasing with increased activity levels. Quote, this tells us that everyone, irrespective of their body weight, should be physically active to safeguard their health, end quote. So, yeah, they're saying, okay, weight loss might be more important, but that doesn't mean don't be still don't be active. Yeah, because being active provides immediate benefits. Right. So going on, however, the study showed greater cardiovascular risk for overweight and obese participants compared with those of a normal weight, regardless of how much exercise they did. Participants who were obese and active were twice as likely to have high cholesterol, four times as likely to have diabetes, and five times as likely to have a high, to have high blood pressure uh, as those who are normal weight but inactive. Quote, exercise does not seem to compensate for the negative effects of excess weight. This finding was also observed overall in both men and women when they were analyzed separately, end quote. Uh, Lucia underlined that it is equally important to fight obesity and inactivity. Quote, weight loss should remain a primary target for health policies together with promoting active lifestyles, end quote. Um, there's a little bit more on it where, you know, they go into, okay, you know, more about the study and everything. But I think the point is made here. Um, and that is, you can't just go to the gym. You ha- It has to be a significantly larger approach. Your entire body has to be involved with this inside and out. You know, you like you have to pay attention to diet, whatever that may be. There's not just one diet, I think, that works for everybody. I've, I've never believed that. And I've brought that up many times. I've said that many times on the show whenever I've talked about diet. Even when I wasn't a vegetarian, I said, no, there are people where vegetarianism or veganism is completely valid and maybe even best, you know? Um, so, but we can say stay away from the processed foods because that's, that's true not good for anyone. That's true across the board. That that's a point I've brought up a million times as well, is that the reason why you think every diet works at first is because the first thing every decent diet will tell you to do is to cut out the processed food. That's true for, uh, West beach, Mediterranean, every single one of these fucking diets tell you get away from the processed foods. And so you think at first it's working really well and you're feeling better. Why? It's not because of the diet that you're on. It's because you cut out the fucking processed foods, right? So that's great. Um, but these are the steps that you have to take. Like, look, no, you can say fat, but fit heart health is absolutely essential. If you didn't get that with the heart math conversation that we were just having, here it is in the CNN story. You have to pay attention to that. You have to work on that. That's as key as any other aspect of this. I love that you brought it up that, that you mentioned Ellen, like saying that there's a third thing. It's not just mind body. Like maybe, maybe, maybe general semantics should go so far as to have a couple dashes and it is mind, mind, body, heart, right? Because you should talk about the heart as something more because it's, it really is an amalgam. It's not just a physical organ. Right. It's also a very mental organ in a, in a real way, I think. And so you should kind of say like mind, heart, body. You know, I, I, I think that, the, I think that actually there's, there's some really nice kind of puns within that as well. Um, but that's, that's the way you have to think about it. And once you put the heart really in a center position of health for both mentality and physicality, uh, it does become its own thing. But then this whole idea of fat, but fit, um, becomes incredibly specious. Okay. Now, again, like I said, there are people who have genuine conditions where their BMI cannot go down and they could be as healthy as they can possibly be as a human being. All right. And I, and like, I, I accept that, but those are certain conditions and 
it's a pretty good bet that those conditions aren't necessarily something that is caused for how much of the American population did you say is overfat or, or obese? Yeah. So actually in 2018, they did a survey and found that 42% of the American population is obese. Uh, but that doesn't reflect the, the racial disparities in, in the black and Hispanic communities. It's mm-hmm. closer to 50%. Mm-hmm. Uh, for white people, it's 42. Yeah. I mean, and, and regardless, I, I think that, or I don't think I know that that number is dramatically higher than 50 years ago. Oh yeah. It's, it's incredible. So since the beginning of the 21st century, right. it's already gone up over 10%. Yeah. Th- I mean, that's great. That's exponential. <laughs> like, like by definition, Yeah. Uh, you know, so so I mean that 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 really speaks to this, okay? Is that like obesity affects your heart? Your heart health is central, key, you know. And, and so, like this argument, there are there are case, you know, there's there are special cases, or not not just special. There are cases where sure, like you know, I mean, again, I think what what everybody's concerned about, or well, no, I don't know what people are necessarily concerned about, but there it, it really comes down to. Do you get treated differently, you know, because of your BMI? And I, I'm a hundred percent on board that that's a problem. Oh yeah. There's no need to treat anybody differently. Never. With, I mean, I, and I, and I, and another thing I've said many times, I absolutely respect anybody that wants to live their life in front of a television with cool ranch Doritos, you know, rocking it on the couch and they want to do the, go ahead. <laughs> I, I don't care. You yeah, know? or if you have to eat Dunkin' Donuts for breakfast because you're always in a rush to get to work and that's the life you want to live, fine. Sure, sure. You know, again, I'm not here to tell anybody, you know, how to go about it, all right? I, I mean, I guess in a sense I am saying like, okay, this is what research suggests, you know, is that this is this is what allows for maybe the longest life or the healthiest or the happiest or whatever, okay? But I am I'm the furthest from believing in a one-size-fits-all affair, but- there are universals in this vessel that we call the human body. Yeah. And if you want to live a long, healthy life, you have to pay attention mm-hmm. to, to your body. But you are absolutely worthy as a human being straight up. So, but this idea that like, you know, fat, but fit and everything else, like, n- no, no, <laughs> because you are, you are, I think spreading, uh, it, it's, it's almost, and and even people that are into the body positivity movement know that their their movement has been co-opted by the likes of Cosmo, by the likes of a lot of different, uh, you know, food companies, you know, and so on. They know that this is going on. Um, but this is, I mean, who's who's going to love this whole fat but fit thing? Nabisco? Nestle? <laughs> yeah, really? Sure, yeah. I, I mean, like, you know, I'm not, not insulting anyone. I'm just saying, like, they have all the incentives in the world to keep putting out their shitty food. You know, and and have the message out there that no, it's okay. Don't worry about your heart. Who gives a shit? You know. So anyway, I I could I could see where this could be a positive message if it was something like fat but mentally fit, because I I think uh, especially for the obese community, one thing that has been a struggle for for a long time is you know, the feeling of being worthy and of, of like being made fun of or made to feel ashamed of their bodies. And that is absolutely not necessary. And 
I, I feel like I, you know, I've met people throughout my life who are obese, who have felt extremely self-conscious because of it. Yeah. And you can't be mentally, emotionally healthy when you feel that way. So I am definitely supportive of people who are overweight or obese uh, reaching and achieving a level of mental and emotional health that, you know, everybody else has. Or, you know, it, it's actually a lie because not everybody else has that, mm -hmm. right? Uh, there are only a few people who have it, the people who really work on it and focus on it. Right. Um, but everybody's entitled to that. Everybody's entitled to a feeling of loving themselves. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's what I wish for, for yeah. everyone. Yeah. And, you know, and I think some perspectives in order because there are, we've got another article to get into um, because there's just, there's so much shaming going around. Uh, but perspectives needed here because I think there is this common concept that everybody just wants somebody with six packs abs, with six pack abs, guy or gal. You know, or Z. Everybody wants somebody that. Oh six -pack no, abs. no, no. Well, all right. Well, hold it. Well, look, I mean, let's let let's put this in perspective, okay? First off, evolutionarily, six packs six pack abs are not actually healthy. Like you're supposed to have um, that extra ten pounds to yeah, survive. A like little that. extra pouch. Right. Exactly. Because that's if you happen to be like if you are in a uh, a, a less than target rich environment for food. Uh, you have something to live off of, you know, and your body will basically, you know, live off of that stored fat. That's part of the reason that that's so normal. Um, also, something to keep in mind. So six six pack abs are not the definition of normal by any means. There's nothing wrong with it either, but it's also not the definition of normal. Also to understand, there are less people on the planet with six pack abs than there are millionaires on the planet. Okay. So <laughs> it's easier to become a millionaire than it is to get six pack abs. Yeah. So have some fucking empathy for yourself. Okay. <laughs> you know, if you don't have six pack abs, like, I mean, it's just by the numbers like that. That's completely ab no pun intended abnormal. Okay. Like that, that's not, that's not the standard at all. Even if everybody, I mean, just like, I don't want to say everybody can't have six pack abs, but I'm just saying that there aren't enough people on the planet with six pack abs to even dream of like somehow that, that uh, basically that would become like an evolutionary norm of any kind. I, I mean, it's just, just keep it in perspective that six pack abs are, they're not that big a deal. But I think that's another male beauty standard specifically that has sure. been sold. I mean, uh, you look at the cover of these uh, romance novels. There's always like the shirtless guy with the six pack abs. Mm -hmm. um, and and even for like female Olympians, they have six pack abs. Yeah. But uh, I, I think some people see women that are that muscular as like, well, that's not an ideal body type. Yeah. It's not like what what most people see as beautiful. Well, let's well, just, I, go ahead. I disagree. I think like any any person can be beautiful yes absolutely um but you're right six pack abs are are certainly not standard well and what you're talking about is really the opposite end of the same problem to where like oh well a woman has six pack abs oh that's not you know that, oh it's oh, a, definitely a double standard yeah, right I, i'm not kidding myself for a second there there's double standards all over the place for men versus right. women and what's beautiful yeah so basically there's nothing wrong with having six pack abs. I'm not saying that. I mean, I like having six pack abs, you know, personally, um, there's nothing wrong with it and it's a fine goal to have, but 
everybody fucking keep it in perspective. It's far from normal. And something we're going to talk about in the next story, um, which I think we can just basically, you know, kind of bring in briefly here and kind of naturally is that, uh, so there was, this is from NPR, uh, and Daniel Lieberman, uh, who's a professor of human evolutionary biology at Harvard. He's been doing a lot of research on varying, you know, uh, indigenous peoples, tribes around the world and finding that, you know, basically like this idea of strength training and all this other stuff, like that, that's a fairly recent invention. Now, when I read the story that you shared with me, Ellen, you, you sent this to me, uh, there's, I do have points of contention. Like, I think a lot of people think that like strength training more or less started maybe with like Eugene Sandow or something in the late 19th century. No, no. I mean, strength training has been around for a long time. Uh, I mean, thousands of years. It's, it's been a thing uh, on the grand scheme of homo sapiens, you know, getting into the six, uh, six digits of years. Okay. There. Yeah, sure. It is a, it is more modern in that maybe it's only been around for, you know, 10,000 years or something like that, but it has been around for a good while, but it's far from the norm. Um, right. I mean, indigenous peoples don't really need strength training because they get the strength that they need from their daily actions. Right. Um, and, I guess it's possible I could see where like strength training would become a thing in uh, certain uh, like if if men were trying to compete for mm-hmm. something or even women, you know, th- like if if you're trying to be in top shape for like the, the caper toss, for yeah. example, yeah, uh, you're going to be practicing that over and over again Absolutely. before the competition. So right. I could see where like ancient peoples did practice things uh, in order to hone their skills, but it certainly wasn't. Like uh, this, this guy who was going out running five miles every morning, uh, indigenous peoples would do that for survival reasons, Mm -hmm. but not just for the heck of it. Yeah, there certainly wasn't. I mean, bodybuilding is somewhat new, somewhat uh, in that, like, I don't think, you know, uh, I'm trying to like the people of Uruk, you know, the first city, I don't think any of them were necessarily measuring their biceps. (laughs) You know, like, okay, I I get that, that they weren't doing that, you know, but bottom line being is that a lot of this stuff that we like consider sexy now, I mean, a a lot of this, it's marketing, you know, it can be seen as sexy completely legitimately. And there's nothing wrong with that. But also like the fact that somehow everybody is duped again, it's more of this reality distortion field, like what happens on social media and so on, everybody being duped into like, this is the standard that you need to be at. Oh, stop. You know, that like that's that's that hasn't been a human norm ever, you know. Uh, well, anyway. Yeah. And to think that the biceps are the only things you need to work out in order to be fit. Oh, it's a mistake. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I've said from it, like if you want to get started, you know, as a guy and maybe you want to impress people for whatever reasons. OK, start on your arms. Yes, because that can make up for uh, a lot of other what by that standard would be underdeveloped body parts. By that standard. Um, sure. But yeah, get over it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, But anyway, so this this is really interesting stuff that he brings up. In fact, one of the areas that um, that this professor, you know, really concentrated on was that actually, you know, because right now there's this this phrase that or this 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 meme cultural meme going around that sitting is the new smoking. Oh, God, I've heard that so many times. Yeah. And he basically says, no, not at all. 
Sitting, sitting is not the new smoking. In fact, sitting is incredibly normal for humans. And they put accelerometers on, uh, you know, a lot of these, uh, you know, people and everything. And, uh, you know, on these tribes in these groups that they, they were studying and they found that actually they, they sat a lot. Well, so there is a caveat here Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's, it's important to pay attention to because this really makes the difference. Um, I think when sitting is the new smoking became a phrase, it came out of studies where, uh, people were being studied that live in the Western world mm-hmm. that work the nine to five, sit in their office chair, and then they go home and they watch television and they're sitting on their couch. Um, they're very comfortable, lazy boy. And uh, these these studies show things like, you know, if you sit and you're not uh, if you're not flexing your calves for at least two minutes every hour then yeah. you're at a much higher risk for things like deep vein thrombosis. Right. Um, which is where a blood clot forms in your one of your veins. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really scary to me. And I, I heard this and I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll get up and go to the bathroom or get a drink or something. I'll, yeah. I'll try to pay attention. If I've been sitting for an hour or more, just got to get up and walk across the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what this anthropologist was finding with these accelerometers was, yes, these native people sit for eight to ten hours a day, but they sit in chairs that don't have backs. Yep. So they're still strength training their back and their shoulders. Uh, they're still activating their upper body. So it's a much ac- more active form of sitting than what we do, where mm-hmm. we sit in comfortable chairs, where mm-hmm. we let our backs get weak. Mm-hmm. And that's why we end up with so much back pain as we get older. Um, another thing is that they're they're active while they're sitting. Right. Uh, they're getting up every few minutes to check on the kids or to stoke the fire. They're not just sitting for hours and hours and not moving at all. Yeah. Yeah. We're so the issue isn't sitting. The issue is, I mean, there might be an issue with the chairs. Like he brings up the point. He says, you know, the only people that had backs on their chairs were people who sat on thrones. And those were so uncomfortable. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's a great moment in the movie that we reviewed this in a sovereign tech sometime over the recent months uh, with Hulk Hogan, no holds barred. I love that movie. Yeah. <laughs> There's a great, like the, the, the head of a, of a, of a studio of television studio or of a network of a television network, you know, wants to like make Hulk Hogan feel really welcome. It's like, here, why don't you sit in this chair? It was belonged to Louis the 14th, you know, the French King and Hulk Hogan sits in it and like almost breaks the damn thing. <laughs> now, and, and that's the point is that like, you know, no, these were really uncomfortable fucking chairs. I mean, it kind of drives the point home. Granted, he's a huge dude, you know, and that creates its own problem. But then, well, anyway, um, but yes, those were incredibly uncomfortable chairs. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So. So there's there's that issue uh, of it that, you know, like the backs of the chairs is the issue. But basically the real issue is lethargy. The real is the real issue is that, you know, we're not we're not moving you know, at all sitting for eight to 10 hours a day. Okay, fine. Even just fidgeting helps. That still activates parts of your muscles. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So the real issue is just not, it's just not moving. You know, it's not necessarily that like sitting for extended periods of time is such a big problem. Now, I mean, I, I read this and I didn't see him talk much because like the paleo crowd is very much into, well, we used to squat a lot and we don't squat anymore. And that's creating varying health problems. He didn't really get into whether or not they were sitting just like on stumps 
or if they were squatting. And I don't know that an accelerometer would necessarily know the difference. Yeah, that's not a distinction that he made. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of one of the, one of the other little issues I had with what he was bringing up here. But I think the overall point is is pretty is pretty sound uh, that he's bringing up. And of course, he's recommending, yeah, you know, every maybe every ten minutes if you can, just do something. I don't know, just stand up and move or whatever. Uh, I mean, yeah, or I, even two minutes every hour. Sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, like my Mi Band Five tells me when I've been sitting for an hour. You know, it says I've been sitting too long. Um, do you pay attention to it? I see it and I'm like, no, you know, and, and see, this is a problem. Okay. <laughs> Your elephant is not trained. <laughs> well, this is a problem. So it actually happens very rarely with me because I already do this anyway. Like I get up and kind of move around often enough as is because I drink a ton of water throughout the day and I get up to go and get it, you know, downstairs and, and, and all of this business. Um, when it comes on, I'm just like, yeah, I know. You know, and I don't immediately think, well, shit, I've been sitting too long. I immediately think, you know, why am I working this hard? <laughs> like that's, that's what comes to mind for me, you know, when, when that happens. Um, and so that, that's a whole other thing that needs to be addressed. Right? So it's that, not, it's not making you think of what you think that it should. It's yeah. not reminding you like time to take a walk. It's, it's more like an hour has passed and you've been sitting in the same position and you didn't even realize an hour passed because you were working so hard. Yeah, I basically want to say to it, it's like, well, that's nice, jackass. Why don't you get this work done for me then? Like, <laughs> I, I, I can't, you know, I can't do anything about it. Um, and that raises its own health concerns. Yeah, you're you know? getting pissed off at your me band. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's a whole other, whole other angle. But you see, that speaks to sort of what you were talking about earlier about okay, wait a minute. Why am I actually thinking this way? Why am I feeling frustrated? You know, is it because I'm concerned for my health or does it have to do with, uh, you know, even larger subjects, uh, you know, work and whatever else? Well, I guess you'll have to figure that out for yourself. Precisely. I don't want to psychoanalyze you right here. No, sure. But I mean, but that, <laughs> but, but again, you know, you have to even have that awareness to, 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 to want to know or even realize where that frustration is coming from. So anyway, um, yeah, I, I both links for the CNN story and for the NPR story are are in the show notes. Uh, another thing he gets into, like you know, get in your ten thousand steps. Um, I think that's a bullshit metric, and that creates its own stress because then people just get all crazy about, oh, did I get in my ten thousand? You know, and and all this, and and it's almost contradictory because he does a great job in this story of saying. We have to stop stressing over all of these different uh, like health goals or health metrics of, you know. You, uh, well, like he goes running because the the cardio activity mm -hmm. helps him meet his health goals. Right. But the indigenous people that he's studying, they get their 10,000 steps in or whatever just from their daily activities. Yeah, true. But so like he talks about sleep. This is another interesting thing to bring up because sleep is kind of the hot thing. In, in health circles right now. Well, sleep is still misunderstood. Sure. Well, he brings up and says, he says, guess what? He says, you know, we're, we're constantly told that, um, you know, like our ancient ancestors or, you know, native peoples today or, uh, you know, like these tribes and whatever else that they get tons of sleep and they take naps. And he said, guess what? No, they don't. Uh, they sleep the same amount of hours that we do. Like their averages between six and seven. Um, which is the average 
today, you know, for, 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 you know, quote unquote, uh, uh, civilized human beings. Sure. I, I put that in quotes, by the way. Uh, <laughs> there I, are other cultures that emphasize the, the nap more than others. That's true. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with work as well as diet. And those are both very cultural things. Yes. Those, those are molded by culture. Yes. Um, you know, in some places you get a three hour lunch break. In some places you only get 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, so it depends on like when you've eaten and uh, how much time do you have available. Right. Well, but he brings up that, you know, now there's this narrative of, oh, you got to get eight hours of sleep or you got to get this. And he says that creates its own stress. That's a problem, you know, like and and this narrative that we're not getting enough sleep. I mean, and, and look, we're not and the quality of the sleep is a whole other conversation to have as well. But I think his point, which again, I feel is kind of contradicted by recommending people get 10,000 steps is a valid one in that, you know, don't heart, don't hold yourself too hard to, you know, these like metrics or these goals that you're supposed to achieve, these achievements you're supposed to get in every day, because that creates a stress that humans just never had. You know, yeah, I think more specifically what he's saying is that a lot of these native pe or these indigenous people mm -hmm. get around seven hours of sleep mm -hmm. and that's totally normal. Right. Sometimes eight hours is is not the average. Yeah. Sometimes it's too much. And yeah. So don't be hard on yourself if you're one of these people that only sleep seven hours a night. Right. But I think he also mentions like. Less than that, and then you get into territory where it is becoming a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he does briefly mention that, like, look, as you get older, um, still get in that physical activity. You know, like, don't yeah. don't be afraid. Don't kick it up in Florida. Like, don't kick your feet up and say it's done. No, the only reason that old people, well, not the only reason, but one of the main reasons that old people do become decrepit. Or, or frail. Yeah, or frail is... That they stop using their body and they just get into this mindset where, well, I'm retired. I shouldn't have to do this anymore. Right. Um, and they just accept that that is what happens when you age. But there are many, many, many cases where it's been proven that doesn't have to happen. Yeah. Now, uh, another thing that he brings up that I also think is really interesting um, is that the idea that running is bad for your knees. Yeah, I really uh, like that point too. Yeah, so I've I've fallen for this as well. Um even though I so I didn't learn how to run until I joined the army. And in the army they make it a really big point like you need to know how to run scientifically, you know, and 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 the army admits like nobody knew until like the 90s like what's actually the best way to run, you know. But So they taught you the form? The form. Yes. Like how to footfall and what muscles in your legs to use at what point in the stride? Right down to arm position. Wow. Um, I mean, and, and they're really particular about, you know, your hand being that blade that's cutting the air. Um, but again, nobody knew until the fucking 90s, you know. Uh, <laughs> well, I wish they disseminated the information a little more because uh, when when I was in middle and high school, I was doing cross country, you know, running three to five miles every day. Right. And nobody taught me the form of running. Right. They just, you know, said, go get it. Well, this is the thing is that because running and he brings this point up now, running is essential to people who don't even use horse and buggy, you know. So, yeah, you learn how to run the right way or you die. 
like, like <laughs> sure. that, that, that's that's the name of the game. Now, I not uninterestingly, that was the name of the game in the military as well. Like you learn how to be able to run because you can't count on a Humvee, you can't count on a pickup, you can't count on anything. Like you might just have to run with an 80, 80 pound sack, you know, and you got to go. So that's why the army was so, you know, uh, they considered it so important that you knew how to run, you know, and, and do it right. Um, but I've fallen for this too. And, and I certainly would drop form. Like when I get on a treadmill, you know, you, you don't think about it. I wouldn't think about it as hard, uh, but I can think back and I have it, you know, really like, you know, I know how to go about it based on what, you know, the army had taught me. Um, but his point is, is that no running does not, is not bad for your knees. What's bad for your knees is that you don't know how to really run. Like you don't actually know how to run. You don't know the right way to do it and no one's teaching you and it's not considered essential. And that's why you don't figure it out on yourself by yourself either. And it's a solid point to bring up. Oh, but definitely. Go, go ahead. Yeah. And uh, this is something that actually helped me to get more into five fingers and shoes yes. with very thin soles. Yes. Uh, there's this idea in, in the running community called heel striking, mm -hmm. which uh, is something that supposedly only people who grow up sitting in, in desks and chairs that have backs mm -hmm. end up doing. Uh, and it's where your, your heel strikes the ground first when, when you're running. Um, and that's not actually the natural footfall. Supposedly, it's supposed to be the ball of your foot. Right. Uh, and that generates a very different stance when you're running. Um, and switching to five fingers actually helped me to do that. Yeah. Um, not that I, I do running anymore. Um, my, my workout routine with you now is just weightlifting. But it was, it, it was a really impressive shift. And I was able to run much faster, actually, once I learned how to run properly. Um, but yeah, I think it's fascinating from another perspective too. Like in biology, I was always taught, um, once you damage your cartilage, it doesn't grow back because it's, it's not a tissue that has blood vessels going to it. Mm -hmm. Um, it just grows and it's done, but, but there's actually some evidence that it, it can be regenerated to, to a minor degree. Right. Um, and so basically what he's saying is confirmed by that which is that putting a, a small correct amount of load on your cartilage can actually uh maintain it yeah yeah um i mean a, a couple points so i feel like i noticed a very similar thing so basically i when i switched to five fingers now granted you know there there are famous legal cases against vibram saying that your claims of how five fingers improves your, your run and everything else uh, are unfounded. And we have research that says the opposite. Of course, that research was funded by Reebok and Nike. Oh, of course. Who who don't have the patent uh, behind them to make their own five fingers. So and they got to fuck the other company. whole stupid business is about <laughs> making shoes that have soles that are an inch thick. Right, right. Well, which is hilarious that they started trying to make barefoot sole shoes. It's almost like they were negate. Well, anyway. That's a whole, that's, that's business and politics and all, all crap. Um, so what happened with me and something that got me into buying, you know, like big soul shoes again was that I started adding in cardio a few years ago and my knees were killing me. So, but thinking about it, and especially when you talk about the cartilage and everything, I don't think the problem was the five fingers. The reason why my knees suck is because I fucking jumped out of airplanes and landed so goddamn harsh 
But yeah, my knees are, you know, I mean, they're not bad. Like I don't feel knee pain. It's only when I do extraneous, you know, extraneous stuff like that. Um, but that's the problem. You know, it's not the shoes. It might not even like, I'm, I'm pretty sure like my run form is actually pretty damn good still. Uh, it's the, it's that, yeah, my knees are, you know, are damaged uh, yeah. from, you know, from, from doing such extreme, uh, you know, stuff like, you know, doing halo drops and whatever else. Frankly, but, I think you're lucky that your knees still work well enough for you to run at all. Sure. Right. Right. I mean, and I, and I've banged them up. I mean, I, I slowed the scars. Of course you've seen them, uh, you know, from, from those jumps, but to, point being is like, that's what's going on. You know, it, it's not it. it yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's not that, uh, that running is bad for your knees. It's that jumping out of airplanes is bad for your knees. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, but anyway, yeah, and heel striking is bad for your knees too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, well, anyway, in fact, that's something cause I've been u- using a very, uh, I've been using basically what are like, you know, Converse Chuck Taylors, you know, all stars, kind of shoes for weightlifting because they are a minimalist sole. Uh, you know, they're not these fucking, I mean, it looks like people are, are wearing, they're, they're like wearing aircraft carriers on their fucking feet at the gym. And I'm looking at them, what the hell is that? You know, I don't know how they, I mean, they're clown shoes and they look like clowns when they, when they wear them. It, it makes no sense to me having all that cushion on your feet. Um, but that, that really, those shoes I think stem from, the miss, uh, you know, the mistake of thinking that running's bad for your knees—that you need this cushioning, you know, to 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 protect your knees. Yeah, yeah. Um, the whole idea behind the cushioning was to reduce the amount of of shock. Right, impact. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The shock that travels, the energy wave that travels through your body as your all of your weight transfers onto one foot, particularly one point of contact. Right. And that that shock wave travels from there through your entire body, and especially. In in joints uh, like your knee, which is a pretty major joint, yes, um, that's that's where the energy reverberates and has to redirect. Um, and honestly, uh, it's it's not the shock that hurts your knees. It's uh, it's how the the energy is redirected. Right, which is why it's important to run properly. Yes. Yeah. So let me ask you this: Do you think? That these banana boat shoes, you know, these basically these luxury liners that people are wearing on their feet are causing the same problem that the backs on chairs are causing. Oh, maybe. To where it's weakening your knees. Actually, is, it's the exact opposite. I mean, isn't this what people have, have argued forever is that like luxury makes you weak? Whoa. <laughs> Easy there, Klingon. No. <laughs> Our race has become too decadent. Well, you know, I mean, and look, it's not like there aren't people in the gym who knew this. Um, I, in fact, I, I told you this, this was so, so for a little while in the, in the gym, and this is good to bring up because if you listen to past fitness episodes that I did, I've made varying recommendations. That's why it's good to do these kinds of episodes every year or two, you know, to, to give an update, right? Because, you know, some new evidence comes along and we got to, we got to update things. Um, I used to wear like these big, under armor, Delta rock edition shoes, whatever. Okay. Um, and I saw Michael Hearn. Well, I love Michael Hearn. Uh, he was, he was giving a, I think he was in Boston actually. And, you know, basically doing like a seminar with people in a gym in Boston. And he looked at the guy's shoes and he's like, take those things off, you know? And they were those fucking banana boat shoes. He says, you're not, 
you're not going to get. And he didn't really explain it, but like he, he explained it enough that I was like, wow, that was really something. And that's when I switched to the Converse, which basically have like, you know, very minimalist soul. So he just said something that struck you so powerfully that, but you- it was about the shoes. And I think he was probably, he probably knew very well, you know, that, yeah, this is damaging your knee. Everything I'm saying here, he probably knew, even though he didn't express it in the video, uh, to, to, uh, you know, to a high degree, um, or very detailed, like it, it just, it clicked something clicked there. And so my point being is that I don't think I just discovered something new here or, or that we are, or even that this guy did, that there are people out there that if you listen to them, they know what the fuck they're talking about. Even his workout partner, Robbie Robinson, who is a talk about a mutant. Holy fuck. This guy's 74. I mean, you want to talk about six pack abs on a guy like this, this guy looks like a Greek God, you know, and he's in his seventies, but he's walking around wearing five fingers, probably knows the same deal. Well, definitely for weightlifting, there's an advantage to wearing those very minimalist sole shoes. Yeah. yeah. Um, especially when it comes to doing things like squats or deadlifts. Yeah. When it's when the the direction that all of the weight is going mm-hmm. on your feet is super important because that changes everything about your form. Yeah. Uh, and and you want to have that connection with like, all right, where. Where's my foot going? What muscles are being activated? Mm -hmm. Uh, When you're wearing a really thick soled shoe, it, it messes with your sense of balance. Yeah. 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 I, I, I agree. I, I think that there's that it creates a ton of issues. Um, Some of which we're probably just discovering, you know, and, and like we're, you know, debunking age old ideas like that running is bad for your knees and all this stuff. No, Uh, what's bad for your knees are, you know, those fucking, destroyers you're wearing on your, yeah. you know, on your and also jumping out of airplanes is bad for your knees yeah don't do that at least not as much <laughs> as i do <laughs> don't go army airborne folks uh <laughs> so anyway well yeah that that was that conversation with places i didn't expect but i think that was that was fantastic um so we've been recording for a while um we are well we are two hours and 11 minutes right now holy crap yeah uh but we have we still have other things to to get into we still have to do the supplements exactly so let's get into it here we are past the two hour mark let's actually talk about the workout that we do dietary changes that have been made and the supplements the, the whole breakdown on that yeah let's do it all right so the workout routine um we are basically at like five to six days a week. Sometimes we'll squeeze a couple body parts in, but we're doing, um, you know, very uh, body part specific workouts every day. Uh, like technically first day would be uh, arms, biceps and triceps and forearms. Uh, that's, that's usually Tuesday, right? Monday it, or Tuesday. Yeah, it's supposed to be Monday. It varies. Yeah. There are some days where we're behind on our schedule. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. So we'll get, anyway, these are just days. It really doesn't matter what day. And you can put, you know, breaks in between them. I mean, it's important to bring up quick that I think workouts are incredibly personal, just like everything else, really. But these are really personal because everybody has very different goals, um, you know, and like me telling you, I don't think it really matters saying what workouts that we do because everybody reacts differently. Like really there are bodies genetically that can get the same results out of three sets of eight to 12 reps 
as somebody who does five sets, you know, of eight to 12 reps of the same exercise, it's just genetics. So everybody's kind of different in this. I mean, there's like a range an average of what you can recommend. There's certainly like a, a certain style that you can perhaps get best results out of like, you know, body part split training, but I don't think getting into the num a lot of the numbers and everything that that really necessarily means anything. Sure. I mean, suffice it to say, we generally do three sets of eight to 12 reps for most right. of our exercises. Right. And we do three to five exercises depending upon the body part. Legs is where we spend like legs is a easy to almost two hour workout. Yeah. That's our biggest day. Yeah. At the gym. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there are a lot of movements going on. Um, and that basically that, so that's one day and it's all legs, all lower body. And that basically comes from, um, nobody works out their legs enough, you know, in a perfect world with like a more open schedule, I probably do do that leg workout twice, twice a week. You know, I, I mean, I just, because nobody works out their legs enough. And we actually do, uh, we do add in hamstrings to our warm up on arm day. Yes. Right. Yeah. So we do have a warm up that goes around 30 minutes or so. Uh, you don't have to go that long. You know, I mean, and, and the warm up basically equates to an ab workout. Um, there are things that you can work out almost every day or even every day. And that's, of course, your calves, forearms, and abs. There's an argument that actually you can't work out abs that much. Um, but again, we always take a couple days off, so it's not like those are every day anyway. Um, but that's that's the general knowledge around this. But basically, we do arms one day, legs one day, shoulders another day, uh, back and traps another day, and then chest one day. And that's and that's whatever days that those land on. That's basically it. Um, we've been going to the gym pretty much twice a week. Yeah, and we try to do it on the weekends because it's quieter then, but yeah. it really depends. Yeah, and the at the gym, we do back and we do uh, legs at the gym. Yeah, there's great equipment there that we just don't have. Yeah, that just would be incredibly, it wouldn't be really feasible at this time to replicate it, you know, at home. Uh, but all the other days of the week, we're doing it at home. Uh, all the other body parts, we're doing them at home. And we could probably, I mean, and in a pinch, we can do back or legs at home as well. Yeah, but there it's was, a very different workout. There was a period of time when we weren't doing the gym at all, where we, we did all of our workouts at home. Right. And we made it work. Yeah. Yeah. So we end up working out anywhere between an hour to two hours, you know, depending um, on the body part. But that's what that spread looks like uh, as far as the workout goes. Now, I think what might be a little more interesting to get into, because again, that varies by person, in my opinion, uh, I think is, and this speaks more to the supplements and we are going to talk about diet as well. Um, but that, that is pre-workouts and post-workouts. Now the, this is going to be kind of funny. And I think this is something we're going to be figuring out because of our schedules. We got into the habit of starting working out around 4 PM. Um, I think we're going to explore this year, like maybe changing that up. It depends on what our schedules look like later in the year, because with our diet and you'll have to wait to listen to this with our diet, we have a very specific eating window and that eating window is basically 7 a.m. to like 3 p.m. And we'll only have two meals a day. Now notice though, the workout is after that. So, and 
whether where the benefit, if there is even a benefit, potentially maybe even a negative, uh, you know, a net negative of working out outside of the eating window. Um, that's something I think that we'll be exploring. And I'm just bringing that up here. But the diet overall, I think, is very interesting. And we'll talk about it. Uh, it's actually kind of funny, too. But <laughs> but um, but so we work out around 4 p.m. Uh, everybody, I think, has a different optimal time for working out. Like 4 p.m. I don't even think is my optimal time. I think my optimal time is around 2 p.m. Um, interesting. That's just, usually the time when people start getting kind of sleepy. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's when my my well, you're a night hawk, yeah, night owl. Yes, definitely. Me too. I mean, me too. Even though we get up at, I mean, I get up at like six thirty, seven a.m. You know. Uh, yeah, I get up around eight. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, but I do feel more active in the evening. Yeah, I feel far more on in the evening. Um, yeah, for whatever reason, I've found just on feel and of one that 2 p.m. is like my prime time. Um, I've rarely had a schedule where like it makes sense for me to work out at that point, but everybody's different on that. Some people do better at night. Some people do better early in the morning. You know, that that's that's varied for everybody. So but let's talk about pre-workouts and post-workouts. Now, because we do work out later in the day, having caffeine might not be the healthiest option. Um, caffeine in general is something that we've been trying to cut out of our lives. Yeah, it's been a struggle for me. Uh, because I feel like I have to be on all the time and like I have, I'll, I'll just say it outright. I think I had a horrible coffee addiction, a horrible caffeine addiction. You were drinking so many cups every day. It's nuts. I, yeah. I, I mean, I, 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 I couldn't oversell it, like how much I was drinking, you know, and it's, and so my, my schedule hasn't, or go ahead. Um, I, I was just going to say, like, I, I think I had an equally bad addiction, mm -hmm. but my tolerance level was much lower than yours. Sure. I would drink the same cup of coffee throughout the day, but if I didn't have it, I would feel terrible and I would be extremely tired. But anyway, that's just to say that everybody has a different to different tolerance level for caffeine. Right. Um, But the addiction can feel just as strong. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, my schedule has not changed since when I felt that I needed that much coffee, but I've basically just forced myself to say, you, you can't keep doing this. Like, you, you know, like you're not, you're not, you're just buzzing. Like you, you just, you, you can't, I can't keep doing it. So nothing has changed other than I just said, I'm just going to have to fucking deal with it, you know, and not drink all that coffee. Well, how many days did it take you to get used to not drinking all that coffee? It took a couple weeks. And, wow. And I'm still... And this created a problem. We'll talk about it more with diet. Um, like I'm still, it's not like I have completely cut out caffeine. I still have tea, but I am drinking probably a 20th of the amount of caffeine that I was just, just even like a month ago. Um, and how do you feel? I feel it. I know. <laughs> like, like I, I know who I was and how I, you know, how I was with so much caffeine. And how I am now. And I definitely, you know, the best phrasing I can use is I do feel like less on. However, I am not jittery. Um, I mean, I'm taking like the day kind of slower. Uh, but, you know, I don't feel bad. You know, I just do feel that like perhaps some of my mental prowess is a little bit less. And a little bit. And personally, I like to think uh, that I operate at such a high level 
you know, and this is me boasting now. I operate at such a high level that, you know, I'm still operating significantly higher than most people. Definitely. So, yeah, right. <laughs> so I guess I don't have too much to complain about. Uh, but Wow, that's just, it's so interesting to me that, that we reacted so differently to it. Because I was able to stop drinking coffee pretty much cold turkey. You're good at that. And, uh, I, you know, I felt terrible for maybe three or four days. Mm -hmm. um, and I say terrible. I mean, I felt tired and mm -hmm. lethargic. Mm -hmm. uh, but after that period of time, I felt totally normal. And now I actually feel like I have greater clarity of mind. Um, like, yes, I don't feel as as jittery as um it, one thing that i think caffeine was really good at for me was like it increases your stress levels mm -hmm. um and and that can motivate you to get more work done yeah um because if you're if you're feeling kind of lackadaisical you're not going to be as focused yeah um so it's it's more so about the stress levels um but anyway i i feel uh like overall it's given my my mental clarity a, a boost to not be on caffeine and yes i still drink green tea mm -hmm. but i think tea is in a totally different category than coffee yeah sure no I, I don't disagree with you um and i maybe i'll get to that point of what you're describing but i definitely don't feel that right now yeah so, but this is it's been a struggle for you yeah but this is just necessary like it doesn't matter what the consequences are this is just this had to happen so we switched to decaf, but it, it, like literally. <laughs> and it's delicious, actually. Yeah, it's actually really great. Um, I mean, because that, that's a whole other thing that you can get into. Like coffee even has a placebo effect where it makes you feel like more creative and it gets your brain, you know, going just in the preparation and the smell. Yeah. And uh, even decaf coffee still has a little bit of caffeine. Sure. Yes. No, there's no such thing as like caffeine free. Like, the, you know, even the, there's there's trace amounts, you know, like, there, yeah, it's still it's, it's like point oh four percent that that allows it to pass by the FDA as being caffeine free or it's like point oh four percent, maybe something like that. It's it's still very low, mm -hmm. but it's still there um, anyway. So but let's get into the pre-workouts. But the caffeine conversation was important because we wanted to cut it out of our pre-workouts because pre-workouts, I mean, make coffee, you know, look like child's play. Yeah. Uh, so. I mean, pre-workouts have like two cups of coffee worth of caffeine. And yeah. it's so hard to actually find pre-workouts that don't contain it. Yes. Yeah. So you went with one. So we switched off of, you know, the pre-workouts that had a lot of proprietary stuff in them as well as uh, high caffeine. Yeah. 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 I think previously the pre-workout that you were getting me was called Organic Muscle. Mm -hmm. And I wanted that one because it was made with actual plant matter and it right. wasn't just like these derived chemicals. Right. But we recently switched to, it's by Transparent Labs and it's stim free. So no caffeine. Um, do you want to give me the breakdown on this or I mean, yeah. I, can, I can list off some of the numbers, right? So it's six grams of citrulline malate. Did I say that right? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Four grams of BCAAs. Of course, BCAAs are incredibly important for, uh, you know, muscle repair. Um, and then four grams of beta alanine. Um, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I actually did a lot of research into this. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I read through... A bunch of scientific articles because I still have access to all of these. Yeah, through, right. Through your university. <laughs> through the university. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so I came up with a list of, of 10 top findings that I felt were really important takeaways for the pre-workouts. Yes. And uh, we after I went through this, um, I said, so we can either buy these things individually and make our own pre-workout, which is going to be labor intensive, or we can get this one from Transparent Labs, which actually has all of these ingredients at significant levels. Yeah. Um, because a lot of pre-workouts contain a little bit of each one of these important ingredients that actually do have a positive effect on, on your workout, but not at a level that is significant enough to affect your body. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my top 10 findings was, uh, do, do you want me to like list them or just the, the takeaways? Uh, just the takeaways I think will work. Okay. All right. Um, so as far as like in important ingredients that will actually do something for you in a pre-workout. Um, so ingesting 1.5 grams of taurine has been shown to improve muscular endurance. So taurine, ingesting taurine. Yeah, is... 1.5 grams specifically okay. um, in, increases endurance. Mm-hmm. Um, dietary nitrate is really important, and one source of that is L-citrulline, which naturally comes from watermelons, but uh, you can get it in, in more concentrated form. Um, you need a dose of 6 to 8 grams per day in order to increase vasodilation, which is kind of what gives you the pump. Yeah. It yeah. helps open your blood vessels more. Um, so 6 to 8 grams per day of L-citrulline, which promotes the production of nitrates. Um Creatine is something else that's really important. Three yes. grams of creatine per day, or somewhere around there. At you least. can you can go much higher than that. Yeah. Um <laughs> yeah. You can go up to twenty grams per day, but that's like a serious front load. And you don't want to do that for a long well, time. Well, that's the important thing, is that there's front loading and like there's there are different depending upon your goals. Like, is it for mass gain? What is this for? Gauges your creatine intake. Like there's not just one set number. I mean, everybody should be t- like the, the health benefits for creatine are uh, stupendous. Like, I, I mean, there's just, it's amazing. Like everybody, even if you don't really work out should be taking creatine um, the studies. I mean, they're just nonstop. Like in all these supplements, the one that most people don't have any questions about or that, that, uh, you know, researchers are really really clear about is that creatine is fucking awesome you know like yeah. i mean that's just across the board yeah it's amazing reading through these studies a lot of uh, there's a lot of conflicting evidence mm-hmm. uh, but there there are only a few things that that are really clear results yeah um creatine it, and protein <laughs> Creatine's one of those yeah yeah, yeah absolutely Continue. Uh, and and these also also these other supplements that, that i'm listing off yeah um so betaine is another important one. It, it might also go by the name of trimethylglycine, mm-hmm. uh, but that taken in 1.25 to 2.5 grams per day can help increase uh, your your fatigue level. Well, I, I guess I should say it could increase your tolerance for fatigue um, and total volume load. So it, it'll just help you do more repetitions. Right. Um. And then the final ingredient that I found that was really important was beta alanine. So four to six grams per day of beta alanine can help with uh, increasing your endurance. Mm-hmm. So these ingredients in those specific dosages um, 
are are important because they actually have provable effects on right. on your workout. Right. Um. So that's what I got from all of my research, and I was like, okay, we need these ingredients in these amounts because if they're in any lower amounts, they're not going to do anything for you. Yeah. Um. And and so that's why we ended up going with the pre workout that we're using now from Transparent Labs. Yes. Which I'll put a link in the show notes for all of this stuff. I want to make it abundantly clear. Their Sovereign Tech gets no cut of any of this. These are not affiliate links or anything like that. A lot of people do these kinds of episodes because they just want to make the money off of the affiliate links. I will make zero money off of this, and I don't want to. I want it to just be, in my opinion, solid information, at least what works for Ellen and I, and maybe can be tailored for you, and that's it. There's no money made off of these links. There's, they are not affiliate links. I want to make that abundantly clear. Feel free to check the UTM codes yourself. There's no urchins making me money on this. Uh, so, <laughs> so I just want to ask, like, how have you felt during your workouts since starting this pre-workout supplement? Oof. I mean, it's tough because I'm in a I'm in a case where you know. So here's here's part of the problem of the changes or of what we're describing here is some of these changes that we've made. We did them all at once. Yeah, that's true. And so it's very difficult to say what's causing what, you know, where, where's the causality here. And so this, this stim free pre-workout might be working great, but because, you know, I've cut out caffeine significantly, um, basically, you know, down to a cup of tea a day and that's it. You know, I don't know, you know, like it, it, I think it works, but overall, my workout feels very different than when I was taking, you know, um, obviously a pre-workout that would have, you know, anywhere from 200 to 400, uh, you know, milligrams of caffeine. Yeah. Yeah. So, Agreed. Right. So I want to say that, I mean, I, I'm getting through the workouts and overall feel good. However, I'm still figuring out the post-workout part and we need to get into that, but I want to hear how you feel about with the stim-free workout or pre-workout. Uh, like I feel more sore. I'm not feeling like my body is repairing at the same rate that it did with what I was doing previously, but there could be other elements to that that don't have to actually do with the pre-workout or post-workout because I don't have a post-workout shake now. And that could be a difference. Um, but we'll anyway. So yeah, I mean, I don't feel bad, but also I don't know that I feel great, but I don't know if I can blame that on the pre-workout. How do you feel though with the stem free transparent labs pre-workout? I definitely noticed the first couple times that mm -hmm. we, that we worked out, um, uh, that there was no caffeine Yeah, and I didn't even realize while we were doing the caffeinated supplements, how much that just pushed me through yes. the workout. Um, but now, well, for the first few times I, I really had to push, like it, it felt as though I, I was struggling. Mm -hmm. Um, but the last few days, I think I've adapted to it. Uh, it, it definitely makes my, my face and my fingers tingle. Yeah. Um, with it, the blood vessels. Yeah. Opening the up. blood vessels opening up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I think it's doing something. Uh, I definitely, I, I feel better about it now than I did when I first started. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with the caffeine addiction. Um, 
But yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's only been a couple weeks, so we have to give it more time. Yeah, I'll say this. I'll make a recommendation. And that is, is that if you, like, here, here's the other problem and part of the reason that Ellen did so, and you, I mean, this took you days, all this research. Um, yeah, it's really important. Yeah. Uh, most of the pre-workouts that you buy are full of shit. Yes. I, I mean, all kinds of horrible Shit. Anything from contaminants to illegal substances to prescription medication. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anything that's a proprietary blend. Yep. Uh, look out for that. Yeah. If they like put some kind of fancy name on something within the pre-workout, uh, throw it away. Like get, get that out of your life because you should just like we talk about often with food, you know, if you can't read the ingredients, um, there's a problem. Like, this isn't good for you. Yeah. You know, it should be very simple ingredients. We'll talk about that more when we get into some other things. But, yeah, so what I would recommend is that go with, like, say, this Transparent Labs pre-workout, even though it's stim-free. I don't know if they have one with caffeine in it. Yeah, I don't know either. If um, they, go ahead. And, like, if, if somebody has a better recommendation for something that contains all of those ingredients mm -hmm. in the, the active amounts that we listed... Uh, please send us recommendations because we're always looking to improve. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, but if they don't have it, I mean, I would just say take this and then do what bodybuilders have been doing for decades. Drink a cup of coffee before the workout, you know, 30 minutes before the workout or whatever. That's all that people used to do. Pre-workouts are a fairly new animal. Um, I mean, they've only been around, you know, 20, maybe 30 years, maybe by now, but uh, but you know, back in the pumping iron days, you know, with Arnold and everything, I mean, they just drank coffee beforehand, you know, they got it, what caffeine did for them, but that's all they did. So that's what I would recommend, you know, use this as your pre-workout, but fine, have the coffee, you know, um, if you really need that caffeine and you don't have the problem that I have. So <laughs> sure. If you don't have the problem that I have where you hate beets, uh, eating beets a couple hours before a workout really does something for you too. Yeah. Beetroot juice. And just using that as our pre-workout was something we were exploring as well. Yeah. Because that's, that does a great job of opening, um, and mo and mo actually most pre-workouts do have beetroot juice in them or, mm -hmm. you know, beetroot in them. Um, because it does open up the blood vessels, uh, in, in an interesting way. So anyway, um, that was something we were considering as well. Maybe that's something we'll look at in the future. I don't know if we want to experiment more. But now let's talk about the post-workout. Uh, post-workout is, there's a company that I've really come to love called Naked. That's what they're called. And they make um, protein, uh, you know, protein powders. They make, uh, they offer creatine. They offer, they, they even have a pre-workout that's probably really good, but it has caffeine in it. So we didn't go with it. Uh, they, yeah, they offer a lot of supplements and everything, but they're all here. Here's their, here's their edge where the term naked comes from is that it's all simple ingredients. It's just the pure ingredient. Yes. And, yeah. and that's really appealing as far right. as supplements go, because it's rare to find. Right. So they have naked BCAAs, which are flavorless. Uh, and it's just what it says. Yeah. I think the reason we got into this initially was because I was like, why does this creatine taste so chalky and weird? Why right. are there all these weird other ingredients, mm -hmm. uh, like anti-caking agents and whatnot? Yeah. yeah. Um, I just wanted creatine like right. straight up, nothing else. Uh, and that was the company that we found. Yeah. So they do great for the BCAAs and they do great for the, um, 
uh, for the creatine and the pre-work or the post-workout uh, for you is basically those BCAAs, you know, one scoop and the creatine. Um, and you'd say that's worked out well for you. Sure. That's zero calorie too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's okay to drink it outside of our eating window. Exactly. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, I think it's doing a fine job. I mean, I have a lot of muscle mass compared to what I used to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, typically I'm sore for max four days after a really hard workout. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm see, I mean, the thing is, is like, it's still deeply ingrained with me, it, within me. And I think, you know, the research bears us out that having protein post-workout is really helpful. Now, I've seen some studies that say, actually, as long as you have the protein within like a 24-hour or even 48-hour window, it will you'll get the benefits from having the protein after the workout. So basically, having protein in the morning, you're fine um, still. And, and it, and it, it uh, is reacting or interacting with the workout you had the day previous. But that's, anyway, that's an area that we still have to explore, I think, a bit. Yeah, is that an area where there's still, like, the studies aren't clear? Because I, I've read quite a few studies where they say, like, it's it's not really clear whether, you know, taking this before or after the workout provides the most benefit. You just need to get it at some point. Well, that's one of the, like, with creatine, there's debate on that. So I just take it both times, you know, uh, like, pre and post. Mm-hmm. Um, with protein, I think it's pretty clear. I mean, the question is, is like, how big is the anabolic window? Really? You know, do you, do you only have 20 minutes or do you have 20 hours, you know, to, to, to reap the benefits? Um, that's where there is some debate in that sense, but like protein consumption after the workout at some point seems to be essential, you know, and, sure. but it's a matter of when. Anyway, that's something we'll be exploring more in the future. Um, so that's our post-workout and pre-workout uh, situation. That, that's that's what we're using, you know, for for all of that. Um, I think it'd be good to talk about the diet, okay, and then get into supplements. Sounds good. So we were basically what was happening is is that, and I correct me if I'm wrong, Ellen, on how this started. We were wanting to. We're like, hey, okay, we're working out, working out a lot but we're not exactly seeing the drop in body fat. Yeah, I that think we were looking for. You and I were both kind of independently saying at some point, not that like we're unhappy with our bodies or we feel fat or anything like that. No, but, no, not at all. Yeah. But you wanted to look more lean and I was like, yeah, I was kind of expecting more of a lean look too because for like for yourself, yeah. Well, while I do have more muscle mass now, um you know, I still carry the same fat on the same part of my body that I have forever. Mm-hmm. And I just would like to get rid of it. Right. And yeah. it's, it's not necessarily that I want to look anorexic or I, I need a six pack or anything. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, even just seeing if it's possible, I, I think would be really amazing. Yeah, exactly. So personal goals. That's what it's about here. Yeah. And, um, and so it wasn't happening. And so we're like. And it's not like we eat unhealthy. Holy fuck. I mean. We eat totally plant-based. Plant-based. And I mean, you know the ingredients because you're making a lot of this stuff from scratch. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I, I mean, it, it, it's insane. So 
And we're also not like eating a ton. We usually, you know, when we finish any meal, we're generally not, you know, unless it were a cheat day, which are few and far between, we're, you know, we're not generally walking around like, oh God, I feel so full or whatever. You yeah, know, no, I mean, we eat to satiation. Exactly. So we, we're doing a lot of the right things. So it's like, you know, the only thing we can do is drop calories, you yeah. know, and and we're typically eating dinner at like somewhere around five thirty, six o'clock. Yes. Sometimes later if we're at the gym for a long time. Yeah, because it's 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 pretty key to have a regular eating schedule. That's also helps with the metabolism, being able to well metabolize, you know, this food. Mm-hmm. Um so so we're like, okay, how are we gonna do this? You, of course, being you, the scientist. Started and this is the area that I am so weak in. The overthinker. Yeah, you're like, okay, well, let's figure it out, and you start doing the research, and it's a beautiful (laughs) fucking thing, right? And and you basically, you know, now I've experimented with many, many diets over the years, paleo, keto, all of them. I've been, I was vegan when I was younger. I mean, like I've done all these different things, Uh, and I've even experimented with intermittent. Intermittent fasting, intermittent fasting in that. Now, this is a nebulous term because arguably we do intermittent fasting, but the way that most people I've heard talk about intermittent fasting, generally they're talking about there is that window, that eating window, but usually it's later at night and like you just have one big dinner. This did not work for me. Like I I did not. And it's not that like I couldn't do it. I could easily do it. It's that. I didn't see like the weight loss from this, nor did I see the performance gains from this quite the opposite. So when I slowly started reintegrating another meal in the day, um, I, then I saw the benefits like energy and and a lot of other things. So I just don't, I didn't. And look, one meal a day at, at night, you know, that might work for some, but this is really a key point here is that, you know, everybody's different and you have to figure out what, what diet, and what perhaps eating window or amount of food works for you because it's different for everybody. So don't go crazy with any diet plans. Research what works for you. And that includes a lot of N plus one experimentation. Yeah. Pay attention to the results. Yes, exactly. So and something that we're experimenting with now, you did your research, you got into it and you're like, here's what I think we need to do. We're going to have breakfast and lunch and maybe have a snack at 3 p.m. But we're going to have this eating window between 7 a.m. and 3 p.m. Yeah. So so you brought so up no intermittent dinner. fasting. Yes. There are three different kinds of intermit- intermittent fasting that right. are that are really um I guess mainstream. Mm-hmm. So the one is what you just mentioned, big dinner. Uh there's another schedule where it's eat for a day, then fast for a day. Take a day off, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's really extreme. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Um e- even by most people's standards, that's really extreme. Right. Um and then there's a third kind, which is called early time restricted feeding. And this is what I was researching into. I, I felt like there was the most evidence for this actually working. And mm-hmm. I found multiple studies that that proved on a, a variety of different metrics that this literally does increase your well-being um, multiple levels. Um one of the and one, weight loss. Yeah. Well, yes, yeah. of course. Weight loss was was the you know, main finding. Yeah. But there are other things that I read about this that I was like, wow, we've got to start this like today mm-hmm. because this is really important. Uh there there one of the 
articles that I read is titled, Early Time Restricted Feeding Improves 24-Hour Glucose Levels and Affects Markers of the Circadian Clock, Aging, uh-huh. and Autophagy in Humans. Uh, autophagy? I, I don't know yeah, if I'm pronouncing yeah, yeah. that properly. But anyway, what this is saying is, like, it helps you sleep better, uh, you you feel less hungry throughout the day, like your subjective experience of hunger goes away. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, it takes a while to adjust once you switch over to this this diet. But um, it it also it supposedly helps your body repair itself better. Uh-huh. Um, and so, so I was reading all of these things. I was blown away. Like this is too good to be true. Mm-hmm. Like you can change your diet just minorly like this and experience anti-aging and and weight loss at the same time and right. and significantly no loss in muscle mass i i thought that was amazing too yeah yeah um so anyway we can eat less keep our muscle mass uh lose fat and overall be younger and healthier um so so i i was like all right let's do it um and and what i found was that the, the eight-hour eating window, which is like 7 a.m. to 3 p.m., mm-hmm. uh, is really important for that. Uh, it has to be early in the day because when you wake up in the morning, your body is – it needs glucose. Yes. Uh, and it's it, – as as you – throughout the day, as the day gets later, uh, your body becomes much more sensitive to glucose. So if you're eating a big dinner at like 7 o'clock – you could be going to bed and your blood glucose level is still high. Mm-hmm. And that's not good. Um, it, it doesn't help your quality of sleep. Your quality of sleep is improved when your blood glucose level is low. Right. Um, and and another thing is that the the size of the meals, that's important too. So you want... What I read in these articles, it was, it was really great. Uh, the saying was... Eat breakfast like a king, eat lunch like a prince, and dinner like a pauper. Right. So essentially, have a huge breakfast, have a normal-sized lunch, and t- small dinner. So that's that's where we got this idea, like, we're going to eat breakfast and lunch, and we're going to have a snack for dinner. And essentially, our snack is a protein bar. Yes, right. It's it, And which are homemade, and they're great. Uh, they're oh, amazing. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and, and they're very, like, I mean, these aren't. You know, just uh, I've got to share my recipe for protein bars. You should. I think it's an amazing recipe. I think it's perfect. All the other recipes that I found online sucked. Yeah, I mean, dry and crumbly. No, these are moist and dense, and I mean they're they're really really good. Um, so my experience with this uh, has been after the first week (laughs) has been nothing but positive. Um, I sleep longer. Like on average, I was sleeping six hours or less. Uh, now I am back to like above seven. Nice. Uh, generally. Um, I'll say this, but this is important. Uh, my shits have been amazing. Uh, huge. <laughs> yeah, they've been huge. <laughs> they, they have been amazing and very regular and like more, like there's just more of them, which I think is is a good thing. Um, and I guess we could talk about some of the challenges at first. And then like, I'd like to hear your overall experience with it. Uh, I mean, I will say this, like, so part of the, part of the hard part when you, especially when you first start on, if you're just doing the one meal a day and it's dinner is that you go through your entire work day 
starving. Like you, I mean, you're just constantly like dying to get to dinner, uh, you know, and wanting to, you know, I mean, you're just, you're just wanting to eat, you know, and I think that's a recipe for failure, not only for your diet, but also a recipe for failure for your work. You know, when you're like starving and, you know, you got to be like creative and on and, and have to work. I, I don't think that that, that just yeah. doesn't fly. Thoughts of hunger are so intrusive. Yeah, it just it, it really doesn't work. So I, I don't really even just on that level, I don't agree with, you know, with intermittent fasting, eating just one big meal at night. Um, I have no problem like getting work done and everything. I feel energized. I feel perfectly energized for the for the workout, you know, even though it's after the eating window and everything uh, doing this. The not eating at night granted at night usually well i don't i don't know when i i don't even know when i relax i don't know when that is but <laughs> bottom line is at night it's a lot e- you know one of the tricks for intermittent fasting is that when you're not eating you kind of have to distract yourself to not think about eating that's how you get by until your body gets used to it um and it's a lot easier to do that when you're not working when you're playing you know, rocking a video game or whatever the fuck you do, you know, at night. So, so I really, I think it makes sense on that level as well. Um, but boy, I'll tell you that, that the first few days you get what's called, and I didn't even know this was a thing. Neither did I. I didn't read about this. No, I looked it up. We were both surprised. So like basically first day we do it, we're okay. Like, yeah, just out of habit, we're wanting to eat, you know, but we're not really feeling starved or hungry, not having dinner. Second day, feeling all right, you know, get up, have breakfast. So you're doing better. But like what starts to happen is you get what's called a fasting headache. This is bad. This is really bad. Um, And I think for me, it was worse because I also cut out caffeine. Because one of the ways you're supposed to get past a fasting headache is that you have caffeine to fight off the headache. But I wasn't having caffeine. Yeah. So, so like there, there was no solution here. But, but really for about, you know, 24 to 48 hours or so, you, there was this horrible headache uh, that you have from this. It was different than any other experience of a headache that I've had. Yeah. Like, so occasionally... In my monthly cycle, I will get mm-hmm. a migraine at a specific period in in the month. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really nervous because, like, this fasting headache was overlapping with that period. Yeah. So, so it was kind of like leading into a migraine towards the end of the day, but it didn't get there, thankfully. Yeah. But um, so, so, like, I'm familiar with the feelings of normal headaches and migraines, but this was weird. It was uh, totally different. Um, it's hard to explain what the feeling is, but it just, the quality of it was different. Like it wasn't so bad at first, but as the day progressed, it did get, it got worse. Bad. Yeah. 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 And, and I mean, and you basically, you just have to ride it out like that. That's all you can really do. Um, yeah. And it didn't last uh, the first day that we had it. We both said like, yeah, this is terrible. The yeah. second day it was kind of there, but it was just a, a shadow of its former pain level. Right. Now we ended up having to uh, visit with some folk. And so, you know, normal people still have dinner. So like a week after we started our diet. Exactly. And so we had dinner with them, you know, 
And I mean, just out of respect and whatever else, you know what I mean? And sure. Just, we're just not going to gonna ask them to, sh- to change their diet because no, of us. I'm not going to tell somebody just, Hey, I'm visiting starve motherfucker. You know, like, no, that's, that's, <laughs> that's just not going to happen. So, you know, so we and had dinner with we them. We couldn't say no to this food. Right. I mean, they made it for us. Exactly. It was beautiful. Very yeah. sweet. So, and we had, we did a couple nights or a couple days where we basically had dinner and then we went right back in to, to the eating window. Uh, it felt like there was a slight tinge of potentially that fasting headache coming back, but not really. Uh, it didn't come back too strong for me. Yeah, no, I, I didn't experience it at all. Yeah. It felt like a seamless transition back into our normal, normal diet. Yeah. Rebounded very quickly into like not having dinner. Like that wasn't a problem. And so basically I'm bringing this up to suggest that you can have cheat days within this. Yeah. Um, and you can get right back into it and your body gets used to it fairly quickly. Um, I mean, it took, so here's the thing it, when I was doing intermittent fasting, where it was just one dinner, where it was a dinner at night, you know, that took a couple months before wow. my body like was like, okay, this is how it operates. This took a week, not even, you know, so it's like, easy to adjust to. I think it's very easy to adjust to, especially if at night you can just distract yourself, you know, uh, by having fun and doing whatever else. Um, so yeah, I, I like this a lot and I feel only benefits, uh, at this stage from it. What benefits do you feel? Well, like I said, I mean, I'm sleeping better. That's for damn sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, weight loss has been fantastic. Um, really? I mean, I mean, at first, anytime you switch a diet there, the, the weight loss is always dramatic. Like at first, the first month or even the first couple of weeks or whatever. And then it tapers. Like it becomes, you know, your body gets used to it and it it changes to where you don't get the dramatic loss, but I don't need to lose that much anyway. It's not like, you know, but I mean, I think I probably dropped, I've dropped 10 pounds already. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. Yeah. So, so the way that people lose weight on this diet is that, you know, like you don't have to change anything else, Mm -hmm. but if you just move that eating, eating window of eight hours earlier in the day. You'll actually oxidize fat while you're sleeping. Right. Um, And that's where the weight loss comes in. Um, Weirdly, I feel like I've only lost maybe five pounds since we started this. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not like I'm experiencing a dramatic weight change or anything. Uh, but I do feel like I look skinnier, like there's less bloating, I guess. Yes. Um, yep. I feel that too. I didn't even know that I was bloated before. Right. But now I see it and I'm like, wow, that's, it's kind of a, it looks like a significant change. Yeah. Well, it's similar when people go on like a low carb diet and then they have a high carb meal, like on a cheat day or something and how they feel the next day. And they're just like, wow, this is how I used to feel. I didn't even know that that's how bad I felt, you know? until I cut all that shit out. Um, not to say that low carb is a good idea on the long term, but it's similar. I, you know, in, in, in sensation, that's the yeah. only reason I bring it up. Um, yeah. So, you know, certainly another place that has helped, uh, grocery bill isn't as high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, uh, we're eating one less meal a day. You know, that's like, I, I guess 33% reduction. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's, you know, a bonus. Sure. Uh, not like necessarily the most important one, because if you're going to spend money somewhere, it should be on your health, you know? Yeah. Buying good food. Exactly. So, um, I mean, I, I still, there's a part of me that wants to toy with, and I wonder about 
Okay. What about getting in workouts during the eating window? You know, what are, are there, is, is there an advantage there? And we'll explore that. I'm sure at some point. Sure. You know, that, I mean, we've got plenty of experiments to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but overall, I think this, this form of intermittent fasting is a winner. Like I do not have any of the negative effects to date of when I've tried other types of intermittent fasting. So how about you? I mean, how are you feeling about this overall? I really, yeah, I'm enjoying it. I don't feel like it's difficult. The The only time that's difficult is uh, in the evenings. I do, I do get these th- thoughts about food that just won't leave me alone, but I, they have been lessening over time. Yes. Yeah. Like after 10 o'clock, I start to feel really hungry. Yeah. Um, which I mean, you know, for some people, this could be a good thing because like it kind of it makes you want to have a consistent bedtime. So you fall asleep before you're hungry. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's what I was thinking too. Like it just makes me want to go to sleep so we can wake up and eat. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, that, that's a good thing. Incentive to go to sleep. Great. You mm-hmm. know? Uh, so yeah, I, I see it overall as a, as a, as a benefit. Um, again, I'm not really picturing any, any negatives. I mean, we have to watch Star Trek during lunch now, but that's okay. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. That is a change. Yeah. Yeah. But that's all right. Um, so anyway, do you want to get into, because we also have a pretty strict and somewhat substantial supplement uh, regimen. Well, um, ours are very different, and I like it that way. Yeah, I think <laughs> it should be. We're individuals, for one, you know. Uh, yeah, but, certainly but, there's some supplements, I think, that are on my list that I, I, I would like to see you take. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if the inverse is true, Um because I know a lot of the stuff that you take has to do with like increasing testosterone. That's true. Yes. Um, so anyway, you you can start if you'd like. Uh, sure. Yeah, I'll kick it off. Um, okay. So, well, I'll start it off with what actually what we both take, which is uh, a probiotic, and it has prebiotics in it as well. Um, and it has a CFU of five billion. Um, I'm trying to remember what CFU meant. <laughs> Colony forming units. There it is. Uh, <laughs> now, I mean, the importance of this is that just like, you know, in the past 15 years, what we've learned about gut health and you got to take care of your gut flora. Uh, I mean, it's just essential. Um, everybody should be should be taking probiotics, regardless of what your you know activity level is. Yeah, or or eating uh, foods that have probiotics in them. Yeah, uh, you know, for example, sauerkraut. Which we uh, just made a batch. Yeah, we just made a batch. <laughs> uh, sauerkraut's a good thing. I mean, look, and this is important when we talk about the supplements, and we're just going to go by the numbers here, you know, because we've already been recording forever. So, <laughs> uh, but any supplements you can get just by, just from your food, that's the best way to get any you know, any, any, uh, uh, any nutritional needs is through food. You don't want to have to rely on supplements. Okay. But you know, if you want to add in, add in, okay. You know, make sure you do your research on the matter, but add in where, where you feel that there's a need. Um, but yeah, probiotics, we, we take both of that. That was something, boy, talk about something that, that changed our shits. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That was actually an impressive change. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm really loving the consistency, mm-hmm. the consistency of movements. I mean, yes. not not just the shits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they float now. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I guess if uh, if you have a toilet that is easily clogged, uh, this might not be a positive change for you. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Great point. 
Um, so probiotics are a big deal. Uh, there's other ways that this can be taken. There are lots of things like that you could add to um, shakes, to protein shakes that include uh, probiotics. Um, but, just, just a quick mention here. If yeah. you see things like tea or anything else that needs to be cooked that mm-hmm. has probiotics in it, uh, that's a sales tactic. If you cook probiotics, you're cooking the bacteria and they're not going to be alive when they end up inside of you. Exactly. Yes. So you need to take them just raw as they are. Yeah. And if you're having the sauerkraut, drink the juice. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, I do. T- I do have and I've changed on how much how many shakes I have in a day and how much protein that I consume. Um, I do have one shake a day right now. I usually I up until we changed this diet, I had two a day. I might switch back to that if we change where the workout is, but the, the protein I use, I now use pea protein. Um, and it's from that same company naked and it's great. Like pea protein doesn't always taste great. I know, but this tastes good enough to where like, okay, I can drink it twice a day, but all it has in it, it's pea protein, raw cacao and coconut sugar. That's it. Boom. That's it. Those are the only three ingredients in this whole fucking thing. And I love that to death. Like I, I just look at that and it's only three ingredients and I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll take that. And I love it too. Yeah. Cause I don't, I don't blow ass all day anymore. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> Frankly, while- I think you were lactose intolerant and you were still drinking whey protein. Well, it was casein or for casein, a while. Yeah. yeah. It was, you know, because there was interesting research and evidence that casein, casein's like the best protein you can have. It's a slow protein, but it's the best protein you can ingest. But man, I was farting like nonstop for the <laughs> longest time. And it was so bad. It and was really difficult to be yeah. around you. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know. But like now that I switched to pea protein, pff, done. Like it, it's just, it, it's, if it's happening, it's for other reasons. Yeah, you know? it's not a problem anymore. Right. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. So yeah. thank you for switching. Yeah. Well, I just love the simplicity of the ingredients list. There is no need to get into all that crap that these companies are selling you. And it's not like these, it's not like the stuff that naked offers is expensive. It's comparable, you know, in price to, I mean, yeah, it's not muscle farm, but then you got to wonder what they're putting in there that they can sell it so cheap. Um, but next to like your, your usual mid grade or closer to high end proteins, it's in that price range. It's not bad. So, um, yeah, so that's that's and I and in that protein shake, I will also put in the creatine, and I put in the uh, I put in bee pollen granules because that's just a superfood, um, and that's also something you got to be careful with because that'll make you shit. You got to you got to build up a tolerance. Oh, is is to, bee pollen something that I should consider taking? Yes, absolutely, totally. What's the benefit? Uh, see, this is the thing: is that like I wanted to list all of those out. I'm just gonna have to say at this stage, research. Bee pollen. Okay. Um, but like it's it's one of those rare superfoods like avocados mm-hmm. um, where it just does so much. Like you have to list it all out. Um, okay. So, yeah. And I think they taste good, damn it. Like I, I think they, they, they have a they unique have a taste. Yeah. But I love it. You can add them to anything. But I put them in my shake. So well, maybe I'll start taking it too then. I've got plenty of it downstairs. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, so that's my shake is the creatine protein bee pollen. Boom. That's it. Um, I'm not opposed to adding in like glutamine and things like this, but that's not what I'm doing at this stage. 
So as far as my supplements and these, I take every morning, um, except for the first one, which I have to take through separate meals because you're supposed to take three pills throughout the day. And so I do that basically one at each meal, um, one or two at each meal. And that's fish oil, uh, specifically nature's bounty, 1200 milligrams. Um, so omega three is important. You can get it if you're into vegan, you know, if you're vegan, you can get it from flaxseed, which is what I use. Yes. Um, but I, and I tried flaxseed for, for a year. Um, I don't know what I did to my left arm years ago, uh, from working out. I don't know what caused it, but my elbow was inflamed to where like it hurt to bend it. I don't know what the fuck I did. Uh, and I'm a very careful guy. I started take. I looked into it after a while because the pain was not going away. I still kept lifting. I just dealt with the pain, but it was painful, like really fucking painful. And I looked into it and people said, well, you know, like try fish oil if you have these inflamed joints and everything. And I started taking fish oil years ago, got rid of it almost instantly. It was amazing. Um, flaxseed oil. I bring that up to say that flaxseed oil, this is one of those cases where you got to know your own body. And you got to pay attention to yourself and you have to respect that you're an individual and what works for someone may not work for you. Uh, flaxseed. When I started do, doing flaxseed, that pain returned. So I switched back to fish oil for my omega threes pain gone. Um, yeah, it's possible that fish oil has a higher omega three to omega six ratio. Right. Yeah. So then that's, that's a key thing. Um, so pay attention to that. Your body might not need that. Mine did because of this oddity. Uh, so that's why I take fish oil um, and not flaxseed. But I did try flaxseed, you know, and but that that's the only problem that occurred with that. So you 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 take some sort of oil to, to get the omega threes. Yes. And, yeah. and those are really helpful in reducing inflammation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So whatever it is, though, that's why I take fish oil. Just but I mean, flaxseed oil might work just fine for you. Uh, and I know that's what you do. Yeah, it's it's the ideal level of omega threes to omega six. Right. But, uh, you know, fish oil, again, might be higher. Mm -hmm. So now the next two, uh, the next two we have and these are both related B12, which I do a thousand milligrams of that. Um, this is also from Nature's Bounty. Uh, and I do iron, which is 36 milligrams. Um, and that I get from now foods. Uh, I do those partly out of the fears raised by people. And even Dr. Gregor talked about this, that like when you go to a vegetarian vegan diet, when you go to a more plant-based diet, certain vitamins or, you know, elements that are part of meat eating don't translate like in that you, you, you may not be able to get insufficient quantity from a plant-based diet. And so that's where my, that's where me taking this comes from is to make sure that I'm getting that amount. Uh, and I'm really only concerned about it more so because I do engage in weight training, um, you know, and just having that repair and build up. So like, I feel like my body is operating at a higher level. And this is an important thing to bring up as well, is that RDA recommended daily allowance. RDA is a metric is a recommendation that was invented during world war two, I think to this is what us soldiers need to, to consume, to not die. 
That's all RDA is. Okay. It is not the optimal level. It is just how much do you take to not die on the battlefield? Okay. From a, you know, from a, a, a lack. Okay. We have a cat having a lot of fun <laughs> in the studio. So <laughs> right now, if you can hear the, the bells jingling, uh, anyway, we're, we're not, we haven't given enough attention in the past three hours. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, so that that's important to, to, to keep in mind with all of this. So I like to play a bit above the RDA. Um, and I'm not the only one that does this. There are other people who recommend it. Go ahead. What do you got? Yeah, I was just going to say nutritional yeast is fantastic for, for B vitamins. Totally right. And we do consume that uh, fairly often. So anyway, um, that's that's where B12 and iron come in. Um, next thing on the list is uh, green tea extract, 400 milligrams. This is also from Now Foods. This is basically for metabolism. This is for fat burning. That's, that's really the whole key behind it. Um, after that, magnesium. This gets into the somewhat age-old idea that none of us consume enough magnesium. So this is another thing where you have to build up a tolerance. Um, because I do 500 milligrams, but I've heard people that do much higher, like 1,500, you know, and keep going. Uh, I have not gone beyond 500 in years. So, uh, you know, it's it's not something that I've, that, that I've you know, experimented with. Uh, next thing is something that I have experimented with a lot, uh, tribulus terrestris, or people just say tribulus. And this is about testosterone and basically sexual performance health for a male. Um, I do what is basically the maxed out, uh, you know, like where you max out, which is 1500 milligrams. Um, I, it's from Arazo nutrition that I get it from. And I think they've had the best and I've gone through a lot of different companies but there there's is fantastic. This is one where I have tested. Okay. What's it like to not take it like to stop, to take it for a long time and then stop for a long time and then get back on it. Um, let's just say sexual performance. And I'm not a person that necessarily has sexual performance issues at all. Um, but sexual performance increases like to the point of like amount of hard ons increase. I mean, I'll just say it straight, you know, and I'm also like, I'm already a high testosterone guy. Like I have all the markers for high testosterone. Um, so it's not like I have a testosterone problem. I just want to like take it to the next level, you know, especially when it comes to sexual performance. And that's really what it's all about. I messed with horny goat weed, um, what ashwagandha, some of these other ones that are all supposed to be like a cocktail that can, that can basically increase, you know, male sexual performance. I don't know what any of those ever did for me, but tribulus, absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, it does raise testosterone levels, at least in my, what I've experienced for me, it has worked. So that's a key one for me that I probably, there's some of these I could see eliminating that that's not one of them. Um, Next would be uh, zinc, 50 milligrams. This gets into kind of the, the sex thing as well. I started taking zinc. I mean, now people are taking zinc because of immunity for, you know, like they think around COVID and things like this. I started taking zinc because I had a herbalist tell me, basically she said, Brian, you're coming so much. Like you're dropping your immunity. Like there's no tomorrow. And you've got to build that back up. You need to be supplementing zinc. 
just flat out. You know, that's what she told me. And I ran with it. And, you know, I think it it works. And and I, I get where she's coming from. And I looked into it. It wasn't just like some kind of kooky herbalist stuff. And I was like, okay, I'll keep adding this in. Because, it's, I mean, I come a lot. Yeah, and the amount of zinc that you lose every time that you ejaculate is is equivalent to like a quarter cup of almonds or right. something like that. Exactly. Yeah, so this is pretty key for me. But if I wasn't the kind, you know, that ejaculated a lot, uh, you know, throughout the throughout the day or week or whatever, uh, maybe this wouldn't be part of the program, but that's why it's in there for me. Um, next is vitamin D or vitamin D3 specifically, um, 5,000 IUs. Uh, I've actually, I'm up to 10,000 now. Um, so I take two of these and we could get into the idea that, well, like in certain parts of the Northern, as well as, you know, extremes of the Southern hemisphere, you literally can't get enough sunlight. You can't get enough vitamin D. Um, and New Hampshire falls in that category. So you almost, so there's an argument to be made that you almost have to supplement vitamin D. Yeah. And that's why a lot of, uh, foods are fortified with vitamin exactly. D. Yeah. So that, that's my reasoning for, for supplementing, um, on that. The other is vitamin C. I do supplement on that as well. Uh, I do it in pill form, thousand milligrams. I know that there are people who say that really you can only, uh, your body can only take in vitamin C well in a liquid form. I haven't gone there yet, but I am doing it this way and vitamin C for, you know, overall obvious reasons. So maybe I'm overdoing it on that, um, you know, on the vitamin C, but that's, that's my list. That's my supplements list. Right. And, and I take that other than the fish oil that all gets taken in the morning. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So, so your philosophy behind the zinc and the vitamin D and vitamin C is just that you you get the sense that you're not getting enough. Yes. Yeah. And that's all around immunity. Absolutely. And I'm already an oddball as far as immunity goes anyway, because of my low body temperature. Like, I mean, I, I never get sick. I basically never, never get sick. So uh, this works, you know, not that I want to say that you know, I don't, you don't have to necessarily say correlation causation, but I mean, the research and the reason that I'm taking this stuff, it does appear to, uh, create a pretty potent immunity cocktail for me. Um, but that's what I've got. So I'm dying to hear yours. Oh, well, don't die. I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. I'm taking the vitamin C and D. I'll be fine. <laughs> well, funny enough. Uh, I feel like my philosophy for, for my supplement list is different. Um, Especially when it comes to vitamins, mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm a very strong believer in whole foods and getting all of your nutrition from foods Yeah, and that taking supplements in their pure mineral form is not the ideal way to mm -hmm. intake those minerals mm -hmm. um, and that they can actually be absorbed much better and much more efficiently uh, when, when they're taken in their natural food form. I 100% agree. Yes. And yeah. I, I go through a lot of trouble in our diet to make sure or at least to to try and uh, focus and make make an effort to include all of these nutrients yes. in our diet. Um, and I haven't done the full analysis yet to find out if, if that's true or not, mm -hmm. but I'm in the process. Okay. I, I, <laughs> I bought a software kit for Excel. 
<laughs> I actually have a plan to do this whole analysis. This is what I do. Your I spreadsheets just, like, are amazing. I research everything. You do. It, it's it's a beautiful thing to, to, to watch. I want our health to be a real science. I love it. We got it down. Yes. <laughs> um, anyway, so, so my supplement list is kind of shorter. Uh, it's very simple. I take flaxseed oil, uh, chlorella, and spirulina, uh, which are green algae and blue-green algae. Um, and those are whole foods. Those are really amazing. Uh, the chlorella, it, it actually detoxes metals from your body. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a metal chelator. So so it literally attaches to the metal molecules, mm-hmm. uh, which is great because, you know, we probably drink lead or whatever in, in the tap water. Yeah, even though we filter like crazy. Sure. Still, yeah. Well, the filter only lasts so long and it's less yep. effective the longer we use it. Yes. Anyway, so I think chlorella is great. Spirulina, obviously, like the, the highest level of protein of any food. Yeah, yeah. And I know these are the two that you really would love for me to take yes. as well. Yeah, yeah. because they're they're superfoods, like you yes. said about the bee pollen. Um I I think they're great for everyone. I have implemented them in the past, and usually I did it with a powder that because uh, because that's the funny thing with like spirulina, right? Is that it, usually it's like you have to take like eight pills or something. They're um, small, but yeah, typically. I mean, the last set that I had, they were larger pills, and you only had to take uh, I think two or three. Okay, but but the ones that we have now, yeah, they're tiny tablets, um, and you do have to take six at a time, right? Which which isn't so bad. Like I can swallow all of those at the same time because they're so small. Yeah. So a qu- couple quick things. My first question is, is that, do you see any issue with taking it in powder form and adding it to a shake? Mm, no. I mean, besides the flavor, I don't think there's an issue. Yeah, I, I do think that. that they, they taste weird. Yeah. No, I, I mean, that's, that's, I, that might've been why I stopped was that like, Oh, it was really messing with the taste. Yeah. But at this stage with what I'm drinking, I'm not that worried about it. And I'd, I'd probably add it back in. So funny thing about me, I can't swallow pills. I have to eat something uh, to like trick my mind. And it's totally a mental thing. I have to trick my mind because I could, you know, well, this will sound funny, but I'll say, it. I mean, I could, I could swallow a hot dog whole, you know, like, whoa, no, really. I mean, I could, <laughs> boom, you know, no problem. Well, I guess that's true. I've seen the way you eat. Yeah. <laughs> It's totally a mental thing why I can't swallow a pill. It's the weirdest fucking thing. There's no reason that I shouldn't be able to, but I just can't. So I take all those pills that I listed off. I take that with one of your protein bars. Um, you know, so that's why I ask if I can get it in powder form, uh, because that just makes it easier for me. But anyway, please continue. Yeah. So anyway, um, I don't think there's a negative effect to taking it in powder form. I think uh-huh. you just, uh, you know, need to weigh it or however you want to quantify it. Just make sure, sure you're taking the right amount. Um, so anyway, the only other two things that I take uh, are the probiotic, which you already talked about. Yes. And holy basil. Holy basil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which that is one that I added in when I was feeling extremely stressed about uh, homework and in projects that I was working on for my uh, degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm going to keep taking it just because it, it really is so great at being not just anti-stress, but also like anti-inflammation. Right. Um, and when I started looking into it, like there, there's actually a lot of benefits to taking it. So um, yeah. And, and it's a, it's a whole food still, even in its powdered form. Mm-hmm. 
so yeah, I, I feel like there's no reason for me to cut it out. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about adding in like, like mushrooms? Like what is it? Like lion's mane mushrooms. And, and some, have you looked into these at all? This might be the next bit of research. I used no, to, I do haven't, it. I used to like, you can, you can take, it's a powder and it has like seven different types of mushrooms in it. Um, well, well, I do think that mushrooms offer a really unique set of nutrients. Mm-hmm. Um, mushrooms even have their own form of vitamin D, right. uh, which, which is why it's so important like for vegans or vegetarians to, to eat a lot of mushrooms. Um, which we do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I do think that eating mushrooms would have a benefit. I guess I'm just not familiar with this mixture that you're talking about. Yeah. I think this is something we're going to look into next. Um, this is great. We're learning from each other. Yeah. 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 Well, see, okay. So did you have more on your list or are you? That's all. Okay. Cause I want to, I want to kind of close this out with the real, the really important, um, part of improving your health overall mind, heart, body, the whole thing. And that is having a partner. It doesn't have to be a lover. Like, I mean, that's great if it is, but having a partner, having somebody who, cause like, this is so much information, you know, and being able to, you know, have a two prong attack on, okay, I'll figure out what's the optimal physical movements, you know, for workouts that we can do. And then the other person, I'll figure out the diet or I'll figure out the supplements or whatever. I mean, yeah, like, we specialize in different areas. Exactly. The team effort ha- and, and the fact that we can inspire each other. Cause there's days where, you know, you don't feel like working out. I don't feel like, working out. <laughs> yeah. and if we both don't feel like working out fine, we don't work out, but at least we are there for each other, you know, in, in our, uh, in our, our sedentary. <laughs> sure. Well, we keep each other accountable. Exactly. And you know, even on days where we both feel like we just don't want to do it, we're empathetic with each other. Yes. But I mean, we're sharing stories with each other right and left. Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? You know, uh, you know, they have to do with health and things that we can integrate. Um, it's so helpful on countless levels to have someone else to be on the journey with you. But you got to respect that it might not be the same exact journey. You know, it's all about optimizing perhaps yourself or, you know, whatever that, you know, getting healthier, losing weight, whatever the the goal is. Okay. For yourself. Um, but the fact that you can be there for each other in figuring all that out is, is, oh, it's so precious and essential, um, to do it. And even, even when it comes to psychological stuff, I think that it's really, I mean, that that's really important. Um, I would have never read the happiness hypothesis if you didn't plow through it and we're so inspired you read it again and i'm like well i have to read it now shit she read it twice so <laughs> you know it's got to be good um yeah i mean what do you what do you think on that yeah uh i absolutely agree i i think that having a partner to help distribute the knowledge between mm-hmm. you two um is incredibly helpful uh, yeah. because you can cover twice the amount of ground with the same amount of energy um and also, I think there's really something important to what you're saying about having a partner in general, uh, not necessarily romantic, but mm-hmm. it goes back to something that was in the happiness hypothesis, which is this importance of the feeling of belonging. Yeah. Uh, even if it is just to another person yeah. or another two or three people, just 
feeling that you belong in a group that you contribute uh, something useful mm-hmm. and uh, that that in itself has incredible health effects. Yeah. That Absolutely. is by far one of the easiest ways to make yourself happier. Yeah. To increase well-being. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I, and I, I agree. Um, and, and it's fun. Like when you have the right attitude about it, you're basically experimenting, you know, you're both experimenting with yourselves and kind of with each other in a way. Yeah. If you want to think about it that way. And that just becomes lots of fun. In my opinion, I love, I that. agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love experimenting on you. Yeah. I mean, and it's great too. Cause <laughs> oh. <laughs> mm, same. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's also nice when you're going, you know, to the gym and, and you can kind of, you know, you can get kind of judgy and gossipy on everybody too with someone, you know, <laughs> that's something that you can only do if you're part of the in group. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I say that in jest, you know, because again, I don't people, everybody has different goals. Everybody has different desires. And we might say judgy thing. gossipy things sometimes, but we don't actually mean it. No, we don't mean shit. <laughs> so, it's just to make ourselves feel better well, in the moment. Yeah, the importance That's in the happiness hypothesis. Yeah. But it's in the happiness hypothesis. He, talk, he talks about the importance of gossip. Oh yeah. It's totally underrated. It's underrated. It's important. Um, and I mean, like it's, it's a way it's how we used to communicate over long distances. Um, and with larger groups, you know, before we had social media and other things, you know, it was, anyway, that, that gets into a whole other subject, read the book folks, uh, bottom line. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but his point is gossip is actually a good thing. Like it's, it's not a bad thing. Um, yeah. Everyone engages in it. Right. Even though people view it negatively, everyone does it and it makes them feel more connected to the person that they're gossiping with. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. So uh, I, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and you can also get useful information that way, but that's kind of like, eh, who yeah. cares about that? <laughs> yeah. Well, so anyway, yeah, find a, find a partner. And I know that's tough. And that's the hardest part of this whole thing probably is finding somebody who can really go on this journey with you. But I, I and you don't, it's not necessary, but also ironic, like, or paradoxically, paradoxically, the way to find that partner might be by starting on going on this journey on, a, on your own because the other people that want to go on this journey too will gravitate. Yes. You know, towards you and they see you taking it seriously and uh, you know, they'll, they'll want to take part in the journey with you naturally. Yeah. Especially as they see you improve, maybe they want a piece of that and then you can go on that journey together when they want a piece of it. So that's so important. Um, but anyway, this is really, I mean, wow. I, I think this is such a complete package of, of information. I mean, we covered mental health, heart health, physical health, um, a lot of debunking in this, you know, supplements, pre-workouts, post-workouts, protein shakes, you know, what are the workouts? How do you eat? All I mean, there's so much to take away from this to think about anyway. Again, you have to, the big, for me, the biggest failing in science is that it, and I know I've said this in other sovereign texts, there really is no like human species, in my opinion. And Ellen might bristle at this, and that's okay. <laughs> We've had this conversation in the yeah, past. Yeah. We're all individuals. We're all very much our own species. Like each individual. 
you know, and, and science tries to like apply very broad swaths far too often. I'm not saying there aren't universals like we talked about. There are at points. Okay. But those are, I think, few and far between. And we don't spend enough time really concentrating on, shall I say, the research and science of the individual. Um, and there's a lot behind that. And that's a huge conversation. But my point being is, is that the biggest thing, you know, find a partner, but understand that even within that partnership, like you're each individuals and you're going to have to do things differently um, or some things are going to be done differently. And that's not that one is lesser or greater. It's different. And, and really keep that in mind. So I, yeah, I I think this episode, I I'm really pleased with, with what we put together here. Um, And I look forward to hearing people's feedback on it. Yeah, Um, me too. Yeah. Do you have anything, any thoughts you want to end off with Ellen? Anything you want to get out there? Oh, wow. I I don't know if I have anything else to say. I feel like we really covered the whole, the whole picture. Three and a half hours. Yeah. What else is there? (laughs) (laughs) This might have to be a two-parter. I might, you know, it'd be interesting. I've never released anything like that, but hmm. So, but regardless, I, at the very least, if I do say so myself, I think we improved upon the silence. Yes. (laughs) And if, if you listen to the entire picture, like everything that we've said today, uh, maybe you'll be able to train your elephant so that you can eat more healthy, feel less stress and, um, overall just improve your well-being, your health of your mind, heart, body. Um, that's, that's really the goal. There it is. So we'll wrap this one up. Ellen, of course, an absolute pleasure. And I appreciate your expertise both in life and behind the mic. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So we'll wrap this one up and uh, more Sovereign Tech to come. We'll see all of you on the other side. <laughs>